be it. Just remind you, um, I'm not sure if this is your first Twitter files, but I'm guessing it's not. Uh, the file is pinned above. We're going to go through it as usual and discuss it all together in a balanced way as usual. Uh, make sure you give us your questions, any comments, any questions at all. Bottom right corner in that purple circle. And we've got a great panel for you. And uh, we've got Aaron and Nelson, who I don't think spoken yet. Want to welcome them because I haven't had the chance to speak. And all other uh, speakers as well. But Ian, I'll, yep. I'll let you summarize the, the, the first article that was sent about two hours ago as a preparation. And then yep. name redacted, feel free to kind of fill the gaps. And then we'll kick off the thread as always. And, and guys, as usual, just jump in or put your hand up whenever. Okay. So, okay. First of all, it's a fairly long article. I recommend you read it later on when you have the time. But here's a summary of what uh, the Twitter files thread is about. It's basically about state-funded digital blacklisting campaigns. It's something like uh, the disinformation governance board that was uh, founded by the Department of Homeland Security, and later, you know, uh, people talked about it. You know, Jack Posobiec brought it to light, and then it basically got shut down, right? Because people didn't like it. It was, you know, essentially uh, 1984. So, unfortunately, there is an organization called the Global Engagement Center, and that has been going on for quite a while. Uh, originally, it was established by Barack Obama as a counter international terrorist organization to, to counter international terrorist organizations and diminish their influence. This was, you know. Obviously, it had good motives, noble motives. They wanted to counter ISIS because ISIS is propagandizing on social media, not just Twitter, but everywhere. Right? They were posting videos of their crap and then recruiting people to go fight in war zones in Syria and so on, right? where they were fighting against Assad or against U.S. forces. And so that was what it was founded for by Barack Obama. And so the GE, uh, GEC funded a secret list of contractors who sent companies like Twitter right, reports on foreign ecosystems which in practice were essentially blacklists. This is what they did. Primarily, this was their job. The GEC's blacklisting, primarily, unfortunately, targeted American conservatives, but also targeted left-friendly movements and socialist media outlets, you know, sites like The Gray Zone, for example. Uh, you know, people like uh, Jimmy Dore, right? They, their followers were targeted. Um, I'm not saying that they necessarily targeted those people, but people like that, right? The dissident left, I would say, as well as the, the right, obviously. Now, most of these experts... You know, working, uh, who are working in disinformation studies laboratories or think tanks, right? They know nothing about identifying true bad actors. This is something that Matt Taibbi talks about extensively in the article and he explains how these people are not really qualified to do, to do their jobs. They're just there because, you know, they have a reputation for being disinformation experts. You know, people like, uh, I don't know, uh, Alessandra Caraballo, right? Esquire, for example. That is someone, the type of person that they would pick to, you know, run these uh, things. Now, Twitter executives, they lost their fucking minds when Shira Frankel of the New York Times wrote to them, right, to Twitter, to ask why they hadn't hired any independent researchers to help Twitter better understand its own business. They, they, you know, understandably upset them because it's like, hey, we know how to run our own business. Stop telling us how to do our jobs, right? But the New York Times thinks that, you know, these uh, organizations need to know better. So just two interesting points here. You said that they targeted the left as well as the right. Right yeah, more right, than yeah. the left, but it seems to be... I would say the a, right more than the left. Yeah, the right more than but the we left. Didn't, we, 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 we didn't see the bias that we saw later on yet. So it's like the early, early right. stages. And we saw this even the, the New York stages. Times even could have They were targeting it. Bernie bros, right? That, that's basically what it comes down to. They were targeting people who, you know, like right now, uh, what, what, what's a guy's name? Uh, Jackson Hinkle, for example, right? They were targeting people like that. Right, because he was on the left. Now he's, I don't know, 
weird uh, pro-Russia or something, but <laughs> they were targeting people all, who are ostensibly on the left, who are not pro-establishment, because they, they were not targeting, you know, people like Aaron Rupak. He is on the left, but he's a liberal shill, right? So they were not targeting people like him. They were going after people like Jimmy Dore, people, uh, you know, who on the left, who spoke out against war. They were going against people like that because, you know, obviously they're a threat to the establishment. So that's your first question. What was your second question? Um, that was interesting that New York Times criticized Twitter. Um, uh, not Twitter, yeah. criticized. Yeah, criticized Twitter. Yeah, exactly. criticized yeah, Twitter. Yeah, they're like, hey, why don't you hire some of these so-called experts to go work for you? You know, you don't seem to understand your own business. Why don't you shut down more disinformation? A bunch of clowns. So um, can I can I add more to that uh, article? That, that Yeah. So yeah, ba- yeah, basically ahead. the article he put out uh, before his this Twitter file dropped that kind of gave a summary um, the background of it is an executive order that was uh, put out by uh, Barack Obama, looks like in 2016, which actually establishes the uh, Global Engagement Center. And um, the point of th- the whole premise of establishing this GEC was to uh, they were directed to counter messaging and diminish the influence of communications of ISIL, ISIS or Al Qaeda. So that was the whole point of the GEC to begin with. But inside this executive order, um, let's see, Section 3B, uh, the U.S. strategic counter, they, they were directed to counter, uh, to basically come up with counterterrorism narratives and communicate that. They were, they were ordered to uh, d- direct their communications towards foreign audiences abroad to counter the messaging and diminish the influence. And then where we get into this issue that now relates back to uh, censorship of like uh, somewhat domestic uh, people um, under the, the basis of them uh, pushing or amplifying, say, foreign uh, actors, like say, like Russia would put something out that, you know, the GEC or another, you know, intel agency would, would identify as, you know, uh, say a disinformation campaign. So they would use that as an excuse to uh, diminish or suspend accounts because, you know, domestically that they were accusing of, of promoting, you know, something that the Russians, they would say. So in, in this executive order, the GEC was given authorization to consult and engage with private sector, uh, civil society, academia and NGOs. So that's where you get into these other third party outside groups that are compiling all this data, sending it back to the GEC. And that's where we get into, you know, uh, basically uh, censorship of Americans that they're accusing or, or saying they're spreading Russia disinfo, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, essentially, if you, I don't know, publish a video by RT or something, right? Um, and they don't like it because it counters whatever narrative they're trying to push. For instance, Nord Stream, if you were to you know, put something out and say, hey, America did Nord Stream, which, by the way, it probably did. Uh, they'd say, oh, that's disinformation. You know, Russia bombed itself. <laughs> that's the narrative they want you to stick to. Yeah, so, basically, that's the, the kind GEC, of stuff they would target. The GEC was given this, you know, they were established, given this, you know, sort of first directive to counter foreign, basically counter what ISIS and Al Qaeda was put out. But it was left open ended with all these contractors. They were given the you know, authority to hire. It's feature creep. And then it and it turned back basically and onto domestic type stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's just, so f- from what you've read, Ian, from what you've read, does it seem yeah. like it's um, 
uh, it was accidental because the article does not does not it's indicate not accidental. Whether it's, it's feature creep, right? So it's like the OSS in World War Two. They were founded to fight the Nazis, right? To to counter Nazi propaganda, you know, in the West, for example, right? In, but it was in, not intentionally created for censoring domestic. Uh, no, 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 no. That, that came later. Yeah, because like when you it have a lot of is. that's right. Yeah, like like with the OSS, like I said, you know, with the OSS is founded to stop the Nazis, and they did. They did a tremendously good job. They fought the Nazis, and they won. You know, intelligence wise, they managed to counter them, counter their efforts. And then after the war ended, they were like, okay, what do we do now? We want to still keep getting funded. We want to keep getting paychecks. Well, they got to find a new enemy. Um, I don't know. Let's target the Soviet Union. This is why, you know, the Cold War happened, right? The USSR and the US were not fucking enemies for, 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 for like, what, two decades, three decades when they were founded in 1918. They were not enemies of the US. And then afterwards, after the Cold War ended, I mean, the, uh, the World War II ended, they're like, oh, shit, we don't have anything else to do. I guess we, start, we should start, you know, focusing our efforts on, on, on other people, you know, like, oh, let's counter them. We need to justify our jobs. And that, in turn, you know, helped to create the U.S. military industrial complex. Now, that's a whole history lesson. I'm not going to go into it, but that's basically uh, U.S. military industrial complex gone rampant, right? It starts, you know, hey, we want to stop World War II and fight the Nazis, fight the Japanese. After that ends, it's like, okay, what do we do now? We've got this massive industry and we need to keep it going because this is propping up our industry and it's making us millionaires, right? Same thing here with the GEC. You start, you, you fight ISIS, you fight Al-Qaeda. Great, cool, good job. Afterwards, you're like, oh, what do we do now? You know, oh, let's fight the Russians. Let's fight domestic terrorists. Let's fight uh, MAGA insurgents. You know, like that. that's that's basically what happened. And, you know, they turned their gaze inward, which that's cool. what the GEC did. Yeah. Do, you to, do you want to kick off the thread? Because I know there's a lot of tweets there. Um, I, I, there's a couple of more points I want to go over the article, and then oh, okay. I'll, I'll start the thing. Yeah. So, uh, as Matt Ivey describes in the article, the GEC's focus shifted from counterterrorism to disinformation. First, it was, you know, fight ISIS, and then it became disinformation. You know, less, as Nimrud Redacted said, they went after the Russians, or at least, you know, claimed that everything was Russian disinformation. And then the infrastructure of disinformation labs that grew around it. So... This became a cottage industry where, you know, so-called experts would be recruited and, you know, it's in their interest to basically produce boogeyman, right? This is what happened. Now, the article highlights how, uh, you know, uh, these blacklisting schemes include ordinary Americans, often with the same political leanings as uh, as the supposed foreign disinformationists, as as Neem Redacted said. Uh, they went after people who were, I don't know, just retweeting articles or tweeting out stuff that just didn't fit the narrative, right? Now, the blacklisting organizations that that were employed by the GEC are extremely expansive definitions of uh, of hate speech, right? And and the way that they identify spam is is not something that you know is extremely opaque. They they don't really have a method. They just see, oh, this person follows X, Y, and Z accounts, and that person's already on the list, so let's put them on the list as disinformation activists, right? That's what they'll do. And so uh, uh, it, the inferences are enough for the innumerable centers for countering whatever, for instance, you know, Center for Countering Digital Hate as a UK-based group. And now there's one that's being headed up by Nina Jankowski. Uh, that's a center for, what, uh, democracy or something, right? All these organizations were, were founded with their, you know, uh, uh, for the sole purpose nowadays, right, of deplatforming and disenfranchising any domestic organization or nationalist group, right, for instance, uh, you know, USAID is going after Hungary, right? They're targeting the Hungarian government, which is a democratically elected government. I don't care what you say about it. It is, right? They don't like what Orban is doing because he doesn't support NATO's narrative. So they're like, oh, we, we got to take him down. This is what they're focused on right now, right? So 
it's all about pushing a certain narrative. So anyway, that's the article, and I want to start reading the uh, the full piece now, if I can. Yeah, kick it off, man, because I know there's a lot of tweets there, and then we can go through different. We go through a section, and we can just all discuss it, and then go through the yeah. next section. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so Metaibi Twitter files in number seventeen. The title is "New Knowledge: The Global Engagement Center and State-Sponsored Blacklists." He details that on June eighth. 2021, an analyst at the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic uh, Research Lab wrote to Twitter, saying, Hi guys, attached, you will find 40,000 Twitter accounts that our researchers suspect are engaging in inauthentic behavior and Hindu nationalism more broadly. So keep in mind here, what's going on in India? Uh, They don't like Modi, right? President Modi is not pro-US, he's not pro-anything, he's just pro-India. And so... They wanted someone who's under their control, and so they identified him, you know, his people, his followers, as being, uh, uh, what 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 do they call it? Uh, inauthentic behavior. Just to try to shut them down, right? And the email is from Andy Carvin at, uh, you know, Atlantic Council. He emails it to uh, a bunch of people at Twitter, including Yul Roth, and says, Hi, guys. Attach, you'll find a spreadsheet of around 40,000 Twitter accounts that our researchers suspect are engaging in inauthentic behavior in support of the BJP. That's uh, Modi's party. And Hindu nationalism more broadly. And that's that's uh, one of the things that they put out. The DFR lab, which is the um, digital forensic lab uh, at um, Atlantic Council, uh, said it suspected 40,000 accounts of being paid employees or possibly volunteers of India's uh, uh, Bharatiya Janata Party. Uh, but the list was full of ordinary Americans, many with no connection to India or any clue about Indian politics. This is where hold we on, see the cracks. Yeah. I don't get it. Even if they're part of Indian politics, what does that have to do with anything? They, well, according to this stupid organization, which is really dumb, you know, I gotta emphasize that, is that they claim they were engaging in inauthentic behavior. They didn't really clarify how exactly it's inauthentic. Maybe, I, it's extremely opaque. They just put a bunch of people on a list and said that these people are working for the Indian government. And, and by the There's way, I might throw in here real quick, and when it comes to India, there still is a lingering Cold War feeling in American diplomacy that India, which was somewhat aligned with Russia during the Cold War, that they can't be trusted. I mean, Donald Trump changed that a little bit, but keep that in mind. That 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 kind of flavors the India part of it a little bit. Yes. Yeah, that's where the Atlantic so, Council comes in from. Okay. So yes, you're a lot of that. I was about to say, yeah, a lot of that basically stems from the fact of, you know, the sort of BRICS alliance kind of combats, bringing them more so into the Western global sphere. So, Really, they feel as if since the ruling party, you know, Modi's party basically is in charge, they arbitrarily deem that any kind of sentiments of nationalism in India are basically doing part to that and not because a whole broader base, you know, they assume that they want to be a part of the Western Anglosphere. So hold on, yes. I, I don't get it. So, so they're essentially censoring based on political ideology in India and not based on the request of the government? Loosely, it's loosely, it's loosely political ideology, but mainly because they think that, again, it's funded and that it's manipulation by bot accounts that are actually paid, if you will, shills. So basically, Ah, they're trying to, yeah, they're trying to expand that definition. Yeah, and there's no evidence that any of these people are paid shills. If you look through the list, but they even, but hold on, but ignore their paid shills. These are American people. Yeah, yeah, these are American people, way. and they're not paid shills, by the way. This is this is just a scattershot list, right? Forty thousand accounts. I'm sure some of them are Indian accounts. I'm sure some of them are pro-government accounts, but a, a lot of them, and he provides examples here, are just actually American users. They're just American users. Maybe they retweeted something, 
and that put them on a list. It's insane, right? And this is this is uh, this tends to be a, um, a pattern of behavior when it comes to these uh, you know think tanks like the Atlantic Council is that they're deliberately targeting any sort of nationalist or populist movement in the world. You know, be it in say Serbia or Montenegro or in uh, nowadays it's going to be Hungary, right? They're targeting Hungarians. Um, but before they were targeting Bolsonaro supporters, right? They claimed that those guys were inauthentic because you know, they and, and it's Bolsonaro. very McCarthyistic. It's just it's just uh, stirring up fear um, in an irrational way and throwing people in when it politically benefits you. Like McCarthyism, yeah, there are probably some people who are kind of really dangerous, but there are a whole lot of people just thrown in because they went after them politically. Again, mission creep, like Ian was talking about before. Yeah, and beyond uh, that, with the, it, the, the reason they go after this and to offer people some context to right, our listeners, they may be wondering, why are they going after people like Bolsonaro, Modi, or Orban, right? Or even Putin to that extent. Uh, it's, it's because these people, you know, the, these uh, these governments, these populist governments are, um, they're part of what you would say a multipolar world order versus a unipolar world order, right? And America, together with the WEF, right, the World Economic Forum, uh, has this idea that you know, the whole world is going to be one world government, right? The liberal world order, as Biden himself has said, and that's how he described it, the liberal world order. So when you have these other governments that are protecting their own sovereignty, for instance, Bolsonaro wants to have an independent Brazil, a Brazil for Brazilians, you know, Brazil first, or Orban, who is interested in protecting his people and not opening up the borders to, I don't know, a million immigrants, for example, you know, he wants hungry, hungry for Hungarians and Hungarian culture. That stands in the way of the uh, this globalist world order, right? And that's the reason why they've been targeting all of these uh, governments. And in you know, in a lot of cases, they've been trying to stage color revolutions, right? Where they will literally try to overthrow the government. Not a lot of it has been successful. Like in Kazakhstan, they tried that. It wasn't successful. That was what last year or two years ago. Yeah, that wasn't successful. They tried the same thing in Belarus, and that wasn't successful. But they are trying to overthrow all these governments that stand in the way of the globalist order, right? So that's to give you some context as to why they're targeting these people. And Modi's government is a pretty prime example of that. It's a sovereign state. He doesn't abide by American orders. He doesn't take commands from Biden or anybody else. He is his own man, right? And they, they don't like that. They managed to successfully overthrow Pakistan's leader, right? Uh, Salman Khan, right? The, uh, the cricket player. And because he's a populist leader, they replaced him with a puppet, right? And and now that you know, turmoil in Pakistan as a result. So I'll continue the thread. Uh, you can unmute people if you want. You press the unmute button. Yeah. Quote: um, a, a person named Bobby Hailstone talked to Matt Tyvee. He was on this list, and he said, "I have no connection to any Hindu folks. Just a Reagan Republican here in Connecticut." Right. Another user named Lady D- Lady Die eight one six said, "A Hindu nationalist." I've never been out of this country, let alone the state of New Jersey. And another one, uh, Krista Woods, she said, these people are insane. These are people that Matt Taibbi has been, um, you know, contacting with because he f- he found him on the list and he's been putting out tweets over the past few weeks saying, hey, I want to talk to you if you're, you're on this list. So Twitter agreed. Uh, one reason many of the accounts remain active, but right? Twitter actually agreed with uh, that, that, you know, these accounts are not, you know, are not like bot accounts or anything. Thanks, Andy, replied uh, Trust and Safety Chief Yule Roth. I spot-checked a number of these accounts, and virtually all appear to be real people. So, yeah, this idea that they're not, you know, that they're all like bot accounts, nonsense. The, the Atlantic Council is doing this McCarthyism, as Jim uh, said, right? So uh, here's a, there's an actual list. It's a number six. If you want to pin number six into the thing, you can actually see if you're on it. 
you can you can actually check to see if you're on the list because he published the entire list. It's it's massive. It's forty thousand names. I can't even open it right now because it's like super big. So if anyone wants to read it, you want to check you're on the list. Check tweet number six. Now, Matt, he continues, number seven, the DFR Lab, again, that's Atlantic Council, is funded by the U.S. government, specifically the Global Engagement Center, that's the GEC, right? Dr. Graham uh, Brookie denies that the DFR Lab, uh, it uses tax money to track Americans. They're denying it. They're saying, oh, we're not tracking Americans. And it says that the GEC grants have, quote, an exclusively international focus. This is what they claim. Obviously, that's not true, given that they put Americans on this list. So, number eight, as Matt Tybee explains, Americans who are on the uh, DFR's list, such as uh, Maricel Urbanic, are unconvinced that its focus is exclusive, uh, exclusively in, uh, international. This is un-American, she said, and uh, she's a Cuban-American. She said, they do this in places that don't believe in free speech. This is a, a you know, a conservative. Uh, she goes by the name Jersey Girl. Uh, she's a full MAGA supporter, Christian conservative, Donald J. Trump supporter. Uh, build a wall, you know, that's all in her, her profile, her bio. So this is a, a true-blooded American, right? And and he was one of the people on that list. Matt Tybee continues, he says, the Global Engagement Center is usually listed as a State Department entity. It's not, right? It's not State Department entity. It is, it is uh, uh, created in Obama's last year, 2016. GEC is an interagency group within the State Department, whose initial partners included the FBI, the DHS, NSA, CIA, DARPA, Special Operations Command, that's uh, SOCOM, and a bunch of others. Right? He actually has a whole list of them, including USAID. Right? So remember USAID. Yep. Number 10. The GEC's mandate, according to its own website, is, quote, to recognize, understand, expose, and counter foreign, quote-unquote, disinformation. Right? Actually, not in quotes. It just says disinformation. Now, on the surface, it's the same mission as, uh, that the United States Information Agency, or USIA, has fulfilled for decades, but with a catch. The USIA focused on foreign disinformation. The, D, uh, the GEC's focus is a lot wider. Uh, Matt explains, he says, quote, it's an incubator for the domestic disinformation complex, says a former intelligence source. This is someone who's close to the GEC, explained to Matt Taibbi what it actually does. And the quote continues, he says, all the shit we pulled in other countries since the Cold War, some morons decided to bring back home. That's a pretty good quote. Number 12. The GEC could have avoided controversy by focusing on exposing or answering disinformation with research and a more public approach, as the USIA did. They're extremely transparent about what they did. It funded a secret list of subcontractors and helped pioneer an insidious and idiotic new form of blacklisting. This is what they did, right? And number 13, here the GEC asks Twitter to review 499 accounts as foreign disinformation for reasons that include using Signal to communicate and tweeting the hashtag Iranians debate with Biden. So if you use Signal, like you tweeted, hey, I use Signal. Oh, boom, you're on a list. That's pretty stupid. If you are a Iranian, you know, and uh, I don't know, you're American and you're tweeting about Iran, how dare you? You're now a foreign disinformation agent, right? Because you used the hashtag. This is what put them on a list. So stupid. So here are 5,500. What, what's, what's that list? If you use Signal, are you on a list where they check whether to... To shadow ban no, you it's not like you just tweeted about it. You just tweeted and you said, hey, I use Signal. Boom, you're on a list. This is how stupid what list? they are. The What's GEC's the blacklist. They wanted to, Twitter to ban you for even, you know, because in their eyes, you're a foreign disinformation agent because you're using Signal. So anybody in this chat room, you ever tweeted about Signal, maybe you're on a list, you know? That's how stupid this, mm-hmm. this is. Yeah, it's insane. It's as Jim said, McCarthyism gone nuts. 
to a, like a whole nother level. You know, we think we always refer to McCarthyism, you know, nowadays we're like, oh, McCarthyism is so bad. They made a whole blacklist of like 60 people on it. This has thousands of names, thousands of names of random people, mostly Americans and some non-Americans uh, being put on a list and classified as a foreign disinformation operative because these idiots, you know, they didn't do their jobs. They didn't do their due diligence and decided that you were a bot or that you were a spy or whatever. And there's no proof that you are right. This is what they did. So Matt continues, number 14, he says, here are 5,500 names that the GEC told Twitter it believed were, quote, Chinese accounts, end quote, engaged in, quote, state-backed coordinated manipulation. And it takes about a negative 10 seconds to find non-Chinese figures. So if you actually look through the list, you'll see that most of these accounts are American. There's one called Game of Thrones 911. Wow, okay. <laughs> Some of these are obviously Chinese, right? Obviously Chinese, but there's a lot of non-Chinese as well. They're all, all on this stupid list. Now, the, the GEC's Chinese list included multiple Western government accounts and at least three CNN employees. Three CNN employees are listed on here. That is insane, right? According to Twitter's Patrick Conlon, um, who, you know, in, the, in an email, uh, because they shot it down. Twitter shot it down. They were like, this is ridiculous. Is it not exactly Anderson's besties referring to Anderson Cooper? But CNN assets, if you will, a total crock replied, Yol Roth, right? So Twitter's making fun of this. Twitter's making fun of the GEC because they're insane. Yol Roth says, OMG, really important to highlight this. What a total crock. So they got, you know, the GEC emailed them this list and Twitter's like, what the hell? Right? So the GEC passed some good information to Twitter, but mostly it wasn't. Right? Mostly not. That's what Matt says. And the root problem was exemplified by a much circulated 2020 report called Russian Pillars of Disinformation and Propaganda. This was released by the U.S. State Department um, and worked on by the GEC, and it's got a little infographic um, with, you know, it's, it's got spreads. It says, uh, for instance, in January 2020, Zved, uh, Zvezda TV interviews an expert, and then Zeranovsky makes a claim, proxy sites amplify, narrative spreads on social media, and then RT and Sputnik amplify. And then according to the GEC, the narrative begins to diffuse into information environment in February. And it looks like a bunch of viruses or something. It's so silly. And it says, at this point, the narrative, and this is in March, has diffused into the information environment. So basically, yeah, they're just kind of, you know, shooting their shit here. You know, they have no idea what's really going on. They have no idea the tracking of this stuff. But they're just deciding, oh, yeah, this is what happened, right? Somebody releases an interview, it gets a spread, and, and, and they decide, oh, everybody who's spread, it's a bot. Yeah, this this is like having Keith Olbermann run an organization that is, you know, determined to find uh, spies. Everybody's going to be a spy, according to that guy, right? Ian, are you referencing the incompetence or the psychosis? Which one? Both, both, both. That's the issue. Just right? yes. The, yep, just the answer is yes, yeah. The number 17, Matt goes on, he says, this GEC report was contradictory. On one hand... It offered reasoned evidence that a specific outlet like the Strategic Culture Foundation was partnered with the Russian Foreign Ministry, which would make it a true proxy site. And the summary of this, uh, this is something that the GEC put out. Sorry, this is something that Strategic uh, Culture Foundation, uh, it, it says here that it's a, an online journal registered in Russia, directed by Russia's uh, SBR, is closely aligned with the uh, MFR, or, sorry, MFA which is the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The outlet plays a central role among a group of linked websites that proliferate Russian disinformation and propaganda. This is according to GSD. One of the core tactics is to attract authors who are Western fringe thinkers and conspiracy theorists, giving them a broader platform and obscuring the Russian origins of the journal. 
Uh, this tactic helps a site appear to be an organic voice within its target audience of Westerners. This is according to the GEC. Now, this is part of the report, right? And Matt continues in number 18. He says, the same report advanced a far lazier idea. So the first part is probably true, you know, but then it, it, it they just got sloppy. They say, uh, along with state actors, groups that generate their own momentum should also be seen as parts of the propaganda ecosystem. This is where the feature creep comes in, right? So independence, according to GGC, should not confuse those trying to discern the truth, right? And, and this is a long thing. I'm not going to read it necessarily, but basically what they claim, I'm going to distill it here, is that the GEC developed something called the ecosystem context. So essentially anyone who shares, you know, a, a, a tweet or retweet something or puts out a link that uh, is flagged by these clowns is going to be flagged as part of this ecosystem. They're going to claim that you're, you know, part of this organization. That's the reason why, uh, like CNN assets, you know, like three of them, three employees at CNN who work in China were flagged as disinformation because they probably tweeted out a link that was from the Chinese government, right? The Chinese Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, for instance, that would flag them because they put that out there. Oh my God, they can't even talk about it. So now they're bots. Can, can right? I say something, Ian? This, yeah, this, this is this is literally the, the a lot of this focuses on okay well you know the intelligence community is is only really authorized to look at foreign you know intelligence they can't or any and they can censor foreign sponsored stuff right if Russia's putting stuff out but this is exactly how they get around that and apply it to domestic where they'll label something as Russia disinformation and then put out these lists with a ton of Americans on them. And that this is exact, this is a perfect example. Yep. I want to go to Aaron. Yeah. There was a similar foreign to domestic pivot of another important government agency the following year in 2017, 2018. So timeline here, the Twitter files, GEC, uh, information looks like it's around 2016. So Obama's still in office then after the sort of populist uprising of 2016 in the form of Trump and Brexit, uh, there was another agency that was stood up called the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. CISA seems to be at the center of the current uh, censorship regime at the federal level. But their, their initial mission was to counter computer viruses. So they were supposed to protect our digital and critical infrastructure from cyber attacks and uh, things of that nature. But about a year into their existence, they decided that they were then responsible for protecting what they euphemistically called our cognitive infrastructure. And you might wonder, what is our cognitive infrastructure? Uh, I mean, I know what the internet is. I know what you know servers are and that we, we should protect them from cyber attacks. Our cognitive infrastructure is the thoughts inside your head. And the threats to the thoughts inside your head, according to CISA, were bad information. And so they very quickly pivoted to disinformation, misinformation, and they made no distinction between foreign and domestic actors either. And so almost seamlessly, they they made the same pivot that we saw here with GEC. So this seems to be a pattern uh, that has occurred probably starting around 2016, 2017, where government agencies that were given one reasonable mandate uh, decided after they got used to, you know, doing what they were doing, decided that, oh, you know, if we're doing this to, to foreign accounts or foreign actors, 
then um, if there's people domestically that are, you know, in our view, dangerous in the same way, why not turn our uh, our work, our abilities, our power against them? So what I find interesting about this Twitter files post is it's another example of what's starting to look like a pattern involving many different government agencies that have kind of grown and metastasized into where we are today with this censorship regime that um, involves probably at least 17 at my last count, 17 different federal agencies. So what, yep. one, so thing, part of your question. one thing oh, in, in tweet number 18 that, that Ian's going under that, that picture, the third picture where it sort of gives the GEC pillars of Russia disinformation. If you look in the middle column, cultivation of proxy sources, this is how they pivot to, censoring, you know, basically Americans, if you go on the bottom, it's and, they, and, and the language they use is unwitting proliferators of Russia narratives. That means basically any, you know, domestic account. That's why they have these lists of thousands of people. And, you know, that's where that's that's the guideline they use. If you go Your even one over, if you go even one over, it says infiltration of domestic conversations. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's part of the uh, weaponization of social media. So, like right now on Twitter, you can see people talking about Nord Stream, for example. They will claim that that is an unwitting proliferation of Russian narratives because how dare people point out what is true, right? You point out that. So you can be guilty without being aware of it. You can be guilty without any intention to spread misinformation. You can be guilty simply if your thoughts happen to align with the thoughts of foreign actors that someone in a government agency doesn't like. I want to so, ask a question. I want to ask a question and, and I don't want an answer now just for the panelists. And we'll probably do this in the next space. We'll do a name redacted in a few days on, on censorship and, and name redacted's findings. But I've got a question. You know, I can come up with many examples where misinformation led to some crazy shit. For example, misinformation about witches existing in a village centuries ago and, and burning those people alive just because people thought there's witches there. I know that's an extreme example. Or even something more uh, current, right? Like Sandy Hook when, when you know, when people yeah, on 4chan claimed it was a hoax and that, you know, all these people were what paid or, 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 or Ian, something. Ian, or, or something I've noticed, Ian, is I, I think I have a tweet scheduled about this or I'm going to be tweeting about this the next couple of days. I've noticed that tweets that are like similar to that tweet by that guy of of showing a a, a double of of Zelensky, which everyone right. thought was like that's a copy yeah, of Zelensky Peter's when thing. it was his bodyguard. And I've, yeah. yeah, so I've 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 noticed that tweets or someone else came up with tweets of before and after of Ukraine, but then showing that the the before and after the, all the images are bullshit. It, it's all fake. Like I I I know it's fake because I I've 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 been you know I've, a lot of people have been to Ukraine. I'll be going there soon. We all like this is crazy to think that all the damage is being faked. This is insane. But then he's yeah. got these photos of before and after. If that and, and I'm seeing that these type of um of of uh, tweets have that massive impact. People don't have time to vet it. And they don't have time to check if Zelensky's guy in the background is a bodyguard. Like they reply to in their mind, it's in their mind, imprinted, and they move on with their life. And yeah. I've seen that tweets with misinformation that has that that impact, that that wow factor, tends to go viral. And I think a lot of people that are tweeting it know it's fake, but because it's getting them so much traction, they tweet it anyway just it for the for the reach. Yeah, and they keep it up, knowing it's wrong, just because it's getting reach, or they remove it after the reach is done. They've gotten all the benefits. So my point is. 
Um, and the question again, not for now, and it's a good question. That for the audience, I'd love you to take in the bottom right corner in the comments on this particular question. Is there a place for censoring misinformation? Because no. we also know the no. risks. No, because people have a right to be wrong, and they have the ability to seek out the truth on their own if they choose to. If people choose to believe stupid things, that's on them. It but they don't choose to. But they don't. But they don't choose to when they don't. They don't have time to check well, those my, things. You know, some people. My don't. suggestion. My suggestion is that the only way to solve this is through more free speech. So you know, the Stu mm-hmm. Peters thing, for example, which is a stupid tweet. You know, saying that Ukraine's not facing a, a war, that the whole thing's fake. Blah 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 blah. Right. That is one example. You can see Aaron Rupar doing stuff on the other side where he, you know, tweets out something out of context about DeSantis or Trump or whoever. Right. And and people believe it. Thousands of people believe the lie. Now, I think that the only way to counter these people, these these disinformation activists, if you will, you know, they, what they're doing is actually disinformation. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, we, we accidentally put out a, uh, something that was bullshit. They don't, they know what they're doing, right? The only way to counter it is true truth. You have to counter them. Like you see, if you see someone think something that's obviously a lie and you know it to be untrue, call it out. That's your job. Call it out. Like you have a duty to tell the truth. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're going to get a lot of, you know, traction for it. But, but where, you have where, to do you know, it. Where were the community notes on the, the Zelensky double and those images of the fake it was images added. of before? I, I think it was added later on. Yeah, it, it got added eventually. Okay, so I, I don't want to. That's wanna part open of the up. challenge, though, Mario, is that again we can see that there's obviously a need to, you know, provide a proper pushback. But see, every bit of misinformation people are exposed to is an opportunity for growth and for people to sort of learn how to s- disseminate between those things and see when you purposely curate entities that block misinformation, you remove that ability from the people. They don't know how to get outside information. Uh, that's where the algorithms are really supposed to help with providing alternate and, you know, sort of, um, you know, combating opinions. That's where that's supposed to help. And it's still a work in progress. We're still working on this, but you don't swing hard in the other way because then you provide a mechanism for abuse as we're seeing here. Question yeah, I want like to ask is... I like to add to that. Yeah. So you go first. You, um, what's the question? I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna. It's not a question. It's kind of. I want to kind of move on. But no, I, I mean Malcolm. Malcolm, gonna, Malcolm said. Malcolm, uh, go ahead, Malcolm said he wanted to ask a question. What, what's the question you wanted to ask to, to the audience? Just to sort of help. Just to sort of help frame this is we don't. You know, we don't know what the communications with these organizations that are basically providing this information to the intelligence communities are. What if there are Congress people's fingerprints on this, you know, particularly people within the intelligence, uh, you know, committees that are basically asking and requesting or tipping these agencies off to do this? You know, that's the missing connector. So what if that's the case? Then how does that change the actionability of this report? Yep. And I'll also like to add before, Mario, before you go, uh, I want to add that the problem with, you know, having a group of watchmen, and this is... You know, these people like the Watchmen, right? They they decide what is true and what is not. Who watches the Watchmen, right? What happens when they start lying? You're depending on them to tell the truth. You're depending on them to counter so-called disinformation. But what happens when they decide that the truth is disinformation and that the only, you know, acceptable reality is the, the one they put out? And that's exactly the problem right now with these uh, organizations like the GEC is that they're lying to people so when people tell the truth they're saying no you're putting up this information and we're going to censor you this is the problem I, this is why you I, can't censor people i i just want to add i i think an expansion of community notes on twitter i think that can help combat combat it in some respect uh i hope we see that soon because i do think that a wikipedia like 
I guess, feedback system on tweets could work. And I know some people attack Wikipedia, but overall, Wikipedia is pretty factual. Well, it, it, it would be helpful. Uh, decentralizing. Notes, community ahead, notes would be helpful if they allowed the tweets to stay up, right? That's the whole issue. Yeah, yeah no, they do. They do. The, yeah, they have to stay up. But yeah, they also, take them down. but the issue is, the issue with community notes is they come in too late and most people, the reach is like 80% of the reach, 90% of the reach would have already been done and then community notes pop up. But I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do, do this. Here, here's a suggestion. Here was a suggestion that I actually saw, uh, uh, people tweet at Elon. I'm, I forget who exactly said it, but when a community note is added onto a tweet that you've already liked or retweeted, it should inform you. Like it should, it should, you know, if you like somebody's tweet, let's say you like this stupid tweet about Ukraine not being a real war two days ago, and then the community note was added today, now, right? You should get a notification that there... That's a good one. That the, That's a really yeah, good one. That, that'd be a good do, way do to a, reach at least like put 50% note, of people. Yeah. Put a, put a note about it, either DM it or tweet it to Elon. It's that, a really interesting tweet. That's something I love Facebook it. actually said they do around, you know, when they censor or, or uh, on a post about, uh, say, COVID. Uh, that guy, Aaron Berman, said that they will reach out to uh, users that shared those posts or like them and provide them, you know, with the correct information. So it's something Facebook already. Yeah. Does. That's something Twitter needs to do. Yeah. Obviously they need more manpower to actually build a system in, but I think that would be a good move forward. That way people are, are not kept in the dark, right? You accidentally like a stupid tweet. You should know that this is false. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to do one thing before we continue through the tweets. Um, <laughs> I'm, for the censorship space in a few in a week or so, uh, I think it's on Tuesday or something. Uh, what I'm going to do is I want to take the position of kind of making an argument for censorship because nobody really is. Well, everyone's going to uh, hate you, Mario. You shouldn't do that. You should actually find uh, someone who is for censorship. No, I'm actually going to do it. Fuck it. I'm going to have fun with this. Because uh, I'm people obviously going to hate I've you. Been... They'll, they'll be like, you can't trust this guy. He works at the WEF. I mean, you really want that reputation. <laughs> You might not be the best person for this. I think my audience knows me by now. Like I just try to play devil's advocate at times. It's, I would hope so. I've, I've, I've gonna, I'm gonna make the. Uh, like, imagine I just go, imagine I say imagine I score something <laughs> crazy just to have fun, and then people just clip it and use it against me. Like I go with yeah. something like humans are stupid and should be censored, and then everyone just clips that and uses it against me. <laughs> yeah, they make a YouTube video about you or something, you know, like a dozen YouTube videos. It'd be like, don't trust Mario Nafal. He works for the uh, WEF, and yeah. he's calling on censorship, mass censorship of people for wrong things. But, this is the, by the way, this is disclaimer, what for, disclaimer for anyone, I actually don't work at the WEF, and I've only been to Davos, not the World Economic Forum itself, at a side event uh, that's related to crypto. Yeah, that's what but anyway, the, uh, host, I, yeah, I, I actually... Them. Mario, I would actually join you to argue that there should be censorship, not because I believe that, but I can actually put up arguments that would make it um, harder Fun. to argue against. Done, Laura. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna take the hate off me. Perfect. Perfect. I'm used to the hate. It's all good. Um, awesome. I've been trying to get someone from the social. I'm, we're gonna continue the thread, everyone. But I'm trying to get someone from the yep. social media platforms. If anyone can help me, help help me. Help me get someone from the, 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 from Meta or Twitter or any of the others, um, to talk about why they censor or, or not because of the legal requirements, but why they think censorship is needed and the, the, 
the negative effect of censorship. Maybe there's something we're missing. Maybe there's studies we're missing. I'm very curious. Maybe I there. still think. No. I still think. I still think. Lara, I'd love you in that space. By the way, please hit me up. And well, I in. want to tell you something though. Caroline was just here, who worked at Twitter longer than anyone, but she's left, and she could have told you why they can you can you DM me can you DM me Caroline's username, please. I'd love to invite I'll her. just let her know to come back. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And and to and send me her details just for the for the space next yeah, for week. For the future that, space, yeah, space. because they're not going to do that here. Yeah, we're not going to do. I don't know yeah, if Caroline gonna... will actually. I don't know if she'll actually talk, guys. But she's the person who was the first original employee at Twitter, and she did all the verifications up until you know just before Elon took over. So. Um, and she has, she's the person who, you know, to talk to if you want to talk to you about that. Perfect. I don't know if she'll talk, but I'll let you know. We'll, we'll tell her yeah, it will beautiful. be nice. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'd, love, I'd love to just have a private call with her as well, Laura. Um, but again, let's continue the thread, man. We kind of digress a bit. But I, I want yeah, uh, anyone in the audience, I genuinely want your thoughts on censorship. Is there an argument for censorship? Even though I'm against it, by the way, I hate centralization of power. I think it's really Having dangerous. the debate is important. But, Having the conversation yeah, yeah, is yeah. important. I mean, we, you can't but, fight against censorship if you don't know the arguments against it, right? People can bamboozle you. Like someone who is pro-censorship, who knows the, you know, who knows the score, who's knowledgeable about all of it, you can bamboozle you. That's why it's important to arm yourself, to equip yourself with this information, this knowledge, so that we can fight against censorship properly, intelligently, and, and convincingly. We want to convince the broader spectrum of, you know, of humanity that censorship is bad. So this is the best way to do it, to equip yourself with the, uh, uh, you know, the tools. Censorship Likewise, also makes way... society less safe. Likewise, though, there should be a way to figure out how to rec recognize propaganda. So I'd, it'd be interesting to hear uh, what tools people have to learn yep. how to assess what's true. That's right. Absolutely. Because well, propaganda does exist from all sides. Yeah, from all sides. Well, which, uh, which tweet are we up to, Ian? Uh, 19. 19. So. Out of 50, yeah? Yeah. So Matt goes, he says the eco, and this is something we talked about already, so we kind of covered it, but he says the ecosystem is not a new concept, right? It's been with us since Salem, right? Salem, you know, the witch hunts. It's guilt by association. This is what the ecosystem actually is. As one Twitter executive puts it, and this is an email, he says, quote, if you retweet a news source that's linked to Russia, you become a Russian linked asset, whatever, right? Does not exactly resonate as a sound research approach. So he's slamming it. He's slamming the GEC because right? it's nonsense. The GEC sent uh, Twitter a series of reports on a series of topics, often employing the ecosystem concept. Its report on France attributes membership in the Yellow Vest movement as being Russia-linked. And that's how uh, Twitter's Aaron Roberts put it. So I'll read the um, an analysis in 2019. This is December 26, 2019, sent by the GEC to Twitter claiming that the Yellow Vest movement, which is a populist movement, it's working class, they were fighting against Macron, they didn't like his you know, his uh, policies, uh, they're saying that it's Russia-linked. There's no evidence that they are, but, you know. The executive summary of this reads, and this is quite, you know, this is not super lengthy, but it goes, the report presents an analysis of cross-platform conversations on social media related to protests in France that took place in December 2019. Most posts were in French, suggesting the domestic audience was the focus of this campaign, which coincided with the one-year anniversary of the protests in Paris, France, in November and December 2018. By amplifying the anti-Macron narrative, the Kremlin continues to sow distrust in an attempt to discredit the French government and deepen divides in French society. The English-language content depicted in the situation in France as unstable, with a hint of distrust in its current institutions. And the report says... 
a trusted partner analysis. This is the you know the groups that worked with the GEC. They looked at one thousand sorry ten thousand one hundred eighty three posts from five hundred and twenty eight Russia linked accounts. Meaning someone who just retweeted a Russian once your Russia linked accounts referring to the protests in France for thirty days starting on November eighteenth, twenty nineteen. These accounts used the hashtags Gilets Jaunes, uh, Grieve, uh, uh, Acte, and uh, Retreats. Of these 528 accounts, only 36 posted more than once per day on an average, producing 80% of the posts observed. Most posts were in French, but also included English and Italian. The uh, French-language content generally encouraged action and included sentiment opposing Macron's government, and the non-French content was generally aimed at convincing the non-French West supporters to oppose Macron, the French police, and the French government more broadly. Additional analysis of the top influential accounts identified that most of the content was produced in French. This indicates that the influence campaign was primarily focused on domestic audiences, such as France. The content of the top influencers was anti-Macron in nature and contained reposted content by Sputnik uh, and, uh, and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Yeah, it's funny. They claimed it was Russia-linked, but the reason why these accounts, which, by the way, are French. I'm looking at them right now. The reason why they posted content on Sp- uh, from Sputnik was because Sputnik had journalists on the ground that were taking footage of the protests. No one else wanted to cover it. And so they would post, you know, stuff that's put out by Sputnik. And somehow that makes you Russia linked. It's absurd. It's, I actually, okay, personal story. When the 2020 uh, BLM riots were happening in Portland, for instance, they were, you know, these Antifa riders were going after the federal courthouse in downtown Portland. And one of the things they did in one of the nights was to set a flame, right, to set fire to a stack of Bibles. Uh, this went viral. Uh, and the journalists who managed to capture that footage of Antifa, you know, masked activists, taking the Bibles, I think they stole it from a church, uh, and lighting them on fire, uh, Sputnik captured it on video. This was written about by other journalists, you know, other journalists saw it, but they didn't take footage. Sputnik put it out there on, you know, and, and I saw it, right, because, hey, it was out there. I tweeted it out. And the very next day, I get a call from the New York Times. The New York Times journalist wants me to know I mean, wants to, wants to know where I got that video from. Did I, was I given it by a Russian? Did I, was I provided it? Was I paid to post it? No, I wasn't, right? <laughs> and, and most people weren't. It was simply there. And yet they tried to paint it as Russian disinformation because it was so horrific. Oh my God, a stack of Bibles being set fire to by Antifa. It has to be fake, right? The, the idea was that Russia produced this domestically in Russia to create the impression that it was, uh, you know, that was happening in Portland. Now, obviously, that's not true because people attested to, you know, people actually spoke media, to the New York but Times. The, but Ian, the, the media, the New York Times was just checking, no? They were just doing the DD. Yeah, they're no? doing their job. So they actually did a pretty good job. They interviewed me and they interviewed a bunch of other people and they concluded, yet, yes, that the stack of Bibles was, in fact, burned by Antifa. Now, they tried to water it down. They tried to claim that, oh, the, you know, they, they, the Antifa may not have known that they took a stack of Bibles. It's just a stack of books and that... Russia seized upon the situation to inflame uh, the protests. There's no evidence of that. Like those journalists from Sputnik or RT, I think it was in this case it was RT. Uh, they were there because I mean everybody was there. Everybody was covering it. Every single you know, like you had you had a uh, uh, what you know people like Tim Pool basically were down there. Andy Ngo was down there, you know, like taking videos of all these things that were happening just because the fucking mainstream media was too busy not covering the stuff that looked violent doesn't mean it wasn't happening. This was, We saw this a lot, right? This is something that a lot of journalists, like people in the conservative sphere, noticed that we would go down there. I think Nick, 
can attest to that. I mean, because he was actually on the ground in one of these places. I think he was in New York where they would take footage, you know, independent journalists were taking videos of what was happening on the ground of, you know, police officers being attacked, being, you know, shot at with like BB guns or like, you know, lasers being pointed into their eyes. I mean, it was something like, you know, 50 uh, DHS agents were injured, right, by Antifa. And this is not really given a lot of coverage because the mainstream media, right, at least the, the people that they sent down there, like the journalists, kind of refused to capture any of this stuff. If they did capture footage, they didn't publish it, right? This is something I noticed with Getty Images, for example, where they didn't publish the stuff that was happening night after night. They would only show the more peaceful stuff. They might show the aftermath of, say, a Starbucks that got ransacked, but that was it. You know, they wouldn't show them attacking police officers. A lot of the footage that happened in 2020 came from citizen journalists who were down there on the streets taking videos and taking photos of what was actually going on. It blew up on social media, but sites like Twitch actually actively uh, suspended accounts that were posting any of this stuff because they probably got, you know, they didn't want that, first of all, you know, this very variety content, very violent stuff. But also they didn't, they didn't want to put out this, you know, this notion that the far left, the Antifa people were performing any kind of violence, you know, because for all intents and purposes, and this was broadly uh, uh, propagated by the mainstream media, by sites like Washington Post, the New York Times at the time. They were publishing pro-Antifa narratives claiming that these fucking black masked assholes were fighting for social justice and they, they were not injuring normal people. That, you know, their, their targets were... It was a mostly peaceful protest, so to speak, right? This is the narrative. And so it, it, it's funny when, when, when Russian... A news organization goes down there, takes unbiased footage. Suddenly it's Russian disinformation because, oh my God, people are actually seeing what's happening. Right. So anyway, sorry for the digression, but I just want to give you guys some context of how the mainstream media operates. All right. So going back to uh, number 20 here, (laughs) Uh, they're they're claiming, right, the the GEC claims that the Russian linked accounts, again, Russian linked accounts are anybody who's ever retweeted RT, uh, uh, continue to sow discord in France. Like, they basically tried to blame Russia for the Yellow Vest protests. No evidence of this actually being true. But they claimed here, and, and this is the uh, third screenshot, this is Russia linked France. Did a few spam suspensions. None of these were suspicious. This is uh, Twitter responding to it. And no, we are not going to remove or, you know, ban Sputnik France. High volumes of tweets does not equal bots to us, and being a bot is not a term of service violation. This is what Twitter said. And they added, in terms of the French protests... Uh, pretty much the same accounts as the previous report, except this one now attributes membership in the Yellow Vest movement as being Russia-linked. Again, I gotta, you know, remind people that the Yellow Vest movement was organic. It happened in France. People were pissed off at Macron. They still are. That's why they fucking protest every single week. Uh, but there's no evidence that it was Russia-linked. But again, this is what the GEC claims. So was it, was it, was it, was it intention? So, so the GEC intentionally, um, claim it was Russia? Um, yeah, or it was them, just yeah. silly, yes. intentional. So they knew it wasn't it's Russia, but they still tried to make movement. it. Yeah, there's no evidence yeah, but, but, at all to suggest that it is, right? Yeah, but could it be just stupid labeling whenever someone like just this lazy? I'm sure, I'm sure some people could be lazy, but I'm going to uh, not ascribe stupidity to these guys. They know what they're doing. They're not stupid people. They're, they're yeah. not stupid people. There's a common trend um, here, and it seems like anybody asking for, you know, focusing on one's own citizens or asserting national sovereignty or anything that's not, in, you know, wholly interventionalist and, you know, that links up to, you know, these post-national authorities is being branded as Russian, which honestly kind of makes Russia look like the good guys, even though, you know, there's some pushback on that. Yep. 
So um, MAGA, for instance, I mean, they claim that the MAGA movement was funded by Russia. This was something that Hillary Clinton said over and over and over again. They said that Donald Trump was elected in 2016 due to Russian efforts. There is zero evidence that Russia was involved in any of it. They claim that 4chan posts that the Pepe the Frog, Luis Mench likes to, to claim that Pepe the Frog is actually a Russian creation. It's like, that is absurd. But this is what we're dealing with. These are smart people who are purposely using people's ignorance of Russia and, and, and they're blowing it out of proportion, claiming that Russia is capable of this superhuman ability but to I think, I think, control but people's these, minds. What we're discussing now, that was before the whole Russian election story, no? No, no, no. It's, it's after. It's after. Because the Russian election... Oh, this is after? Oh, okay. So this, this is not the earliest... Okay. Yeah. This is early in 2019. Anymore. Yeah. Because like the, the Russian election nonsense came out in 2016, I want to say, right? 2015 was when it just first started going on. Then 2016, when tr- Trump won the election, that's when it just started going out of proportion. I mean, you had the mainstream media. You had people like fucking Maddow, right? Rachel Maddow going on TV and saying that Russia is funding Donald Trump, you know, and that's like facts. And ChatGPT agrees uh, with this. By the way, I, I, I see two uh, censorship specialists uh, and a behavioral scientist in the audience. I won't call you out, but I'd love you if you want to come on stage or if not, just DM me any information that's worth sharing on stage and I can keep your identity confidential because I genuinely want to understand the other side of the argument and maybe something we're missing. Uh, I'm genuinely curious. So, And we're doing a censorship space on Tuesday or Wednesday uh, to discuss it in more depth. So if you want to join that one, please, please do DM me. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Ian. Let's continue with the thread. Yep. So according to this email, uh, again, this is on Twitter, right? The responses to the GEC. Uh, Russia linked to Italy, so same as France, did a few spam mentions, and this one had more violations than the clouds they flagged comparatively to the first report. And then Russia linked China-Italy, more entertainment value than anything. If it equates, if it equates anything pro-China, <laughs> uh, but also suggests that anything against China and Italy is part of Russia's strategies. These people are fucking insane. So, it, like, if someone in Italy promotes something that is pro-China, oh, suddenly they're a Russian agent. Hmm. Wild, right? Crazy shit. Hey, what one thing back uh, back to uh, tweet number twenty. Uh, this is something you know with the lab leak uh, theory. Basically, now you know is accepted. Uh, you know, in the last week. Um, but if you look in tweet twenty, one of the 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 second picture there is all is all COVID related, and they highlight all these accounts that they say are obviously you know Russia based, and how many tweets that they've done on COVID thousands. And, you know, basically what the GEC is doing here is they're compiling all the, you know, all these reports, you know, with their third party groups and NGOs, and then just throwing them, you know, these bulk, you know, reports to Twitter and other social media uh, platforms as well. And just hoping that Twitter will just take them at face and then just suspend these accounts. And the whole purpose obviously is to control the narrative and use Russia as the boogeyman. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah, I skipped over this, but thank you for giving us a summary here. Yeah, according to the GEC, they say, we analyzed 10 Twitter accounts featured in a French protest social media content analysis report published in December 26, 2019. And the table below lists the Twitter accounts included in our current analysis, which focus on messaging related to COVID-19 posted between 1 and 29 March 2020. So these are the same French accounts. Obviously, these accounts are, aside from Sputnik France, obviously most of these accounts are, um, you know, I would say dissidents, right? Like they're people who are not part of the mainstream, who, you know, frankly speaking, 
were right about COVID, right? They were tweeting about how it was, you know, created in a lab, things like that. And, and how this whole thing is a, is a way, you know, the, the, the pandemic is a way to, to, to start lockdowns and shutting people up, shutting people inside their houses and screwing people's jobs up, you know. That's what these people were tweeting. And suddenly they created, they managed to create this cohesive narrative about how anyone who's speaking out against COVID, who was also, you know, supporting the Yellow Vest protests the year before, you know, oh my God, it must be Russian, right? The Russian disinformation. Like, so you're anti-lockdown. Suddenly you're Russian. And you see this quite a bit with like in, in Canada, for example, like I, I follow some of these stupid OSINT accounts and they're like claiming that the, uh, uh, the freedom convoy protest, which happened last year, uh, was in fact backed by Russia because they were like, you know, anti-lockdown. This is the insanity we're dealing with. Some of these people are genuinely crazy. You know, the people putting out this narrative, but many of them, they, you know, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're not stupid people. Yeah. And, and the tweet just I put the, out last for the night, record, uh, Go ahead, Mario. Go ahead, Nathan. Okay, well, the tweet I put out last night uh, was uh, the official uh, intelligence community assessment of the 2020 election. And just buried in there, I mean, it was it was all election related, you know, uh, interference by foreign um, actors. Uh, But buried in the report on page nine, there was one little subtext where they uh, obviously accused Russia of amplifying, you know, uh, negative uh, stories or publishing negative stories on Biden and boosting Trump. But one line in there is they, again, accuse Russia of amplifying and publishing, you know, uh, ne- uh, um, conspiratorial narratives uh, about COVID. And what are those conspiratorial narratives? The lab leak, which is now true, right? That's right. I want to just so, mention one thing for the record. I want to remind everyone because I'm researching, uh, heavily researching uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, China because of all those spaces we're doing. Um, in the U.S., we're, we're criticizing a lot of aspects of, of, of uh, U.S. quote-unquote democracy, but we're still in a democratic country. There is censorship, but nothing compared to China or Russia or North Korea or Belarus. Or How, do you know that's true? For How do you know that's true? But for example, for man, Russia, uh, what was the the law they passed? Fifteen years in jail if you if you um, if you spread what's considered fake news, and some of what they consider fake news. Nobody is... nobody's in jail for fifteen years, Mario. Nobody's in jail for fifteen years. Like uh, I know people who protest in Saint Petersburg. I actually know people there. In Saint Petersburg, who did go to but these this? But and... who, but who? But imagine, but imagine they passed such a law they in the US. Gonna... People will be on the streets with guns. Like even passing such a law is extreme. We would not. You we like. But Mario, where there's a lot. Mario, of... the U.S. doesn't have to pass any laws. They just jail people indefinitely. Look at the mm-hmm. January 6th protesters. Almost, look at. Uh, yeah, look I'd almost argue on. what we do is a little bit more dangerous because it's so pernicious and it's insidious. So you almost cultivate this idea that this, uh, you know, that speaking out like everybody's already speaking free. So you're censoring in the background. But guys, guys, also, when, so, but, so that's but, worse than 15 years in prison? Yeah, look what's going on up in no Canada. Is, yeah, I mean, Canada people lost their Canada, bank accounts. The bill. Lost their bank accounts, yeah. lost their jobs, lost their job licenses. Well, I'm, I'm actually, people are, Ian, I'm this is cancer. Ian, I'm actually Let's speaking go, more. I don't know if that was Ian speaking. Sorry, I don't know everyone's voice yet, so I'm a little lost. But there's a bill that actually will prevent us from having opinions on the Internet. It literally is that. Um, and so, I don't know, I would urge you guys to have a look what's at that. The, what's the bill? Hold on, what's the bill, Laura? Oh, B, Bill C, I don't know, there's so many bills. Um, 
God, I think it's C11. Um, yeah, C- it's it's an anti-free speech bill. Yeah, in Canada, where basically if you speak out against the government or you know, yep. quote unquote, put out disinformation, you you could go to jail for it. Yeah. Well, you know, we're an interesting society because we already have hate laws, and what people don't understand yeah, but- about that is that hate laws in Canada are only, are never enforced. Number one, very rarely. So it's like it's a law; it sits there, it looks good, yay. Um, but it's rarely enforced, and when it is, it's only when and it's very specific when it's mass publishing of hate material, and they have very specific case law on what that means. So Holocaust denial, things like that. Some people would argue that that's a good thing. Some people would argue that's a bad thing. The point is, is that the government, the point I'm making in Canada, is is going further than that, and they're doing it by. Um, it's a long story, but basically, Canada has laws about um, Canadian content having to be part of our ecosystem in order for people to get funding. So they're using these very, um, they're using funding as a way to stop people from having their own creative um, thoughts and processes and sharing that. I just, Laura, short, I, 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 I just, look, I just searched a random article um, uh, about Russia 15 years in prison. And uh, obviously I, I need to look into this a bit further, but the, the this is the following. Uh, Russia, prominent opposition activist faces yeah. up to 15 years in prison for sharing information about the war in Ukraine. Um, yeah. and the and person's I, and I believe- name is, is, is uh, the person's name is Marie. Uh, so the person shared, uh, actions of the Russian military in Ukraine dubbed quote unquote fake news by the authorities. Um, and that's a, a piece of a, a, an article by, uh, Amnesty International. Uh, and the person's name is Vladimir Karamurza, who was criticizing Russian authorities. Um, and he's had two attempts of being poisoned. And, and so, I'm, again, I, I don't want to get this political. I'm just saying, like, I, I think the U.S. needs a lot of work, but I don't think we should. I, I just no, I, I, I don't know. January 6th, January 6th, people were jailed, imprisoned for several years, two years now, without any trial. How is that fair? But how is that? I'm not saying it's fair. I never uh, said I mean, it's fair. I'm putting words in my mind. But it's th- go ahead, Brian. Right. Mario, I'm not, but I'm not, that, but I'm not being, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, just because there is no law written to, you know, uh, to, to say that something is, is, you know, can get you in jail doesn't mean it's not going on. I mean, if you look at 9-11, right? After 9-11 happened, what happened to the Muslim community in America? They were targeted by the FBI. Many of them were put in, in jail for, for, for weeks, tortured even for months, right? They're, they're imprisoned without due process. This happened under the Patriot Act. It enabled it, right? So you don't need you don't need a law that says, "Oh, you can't talk about X, Y, and Z." If the right. FBI decides that you're a bad guy, they can throw you in jail without a, without any sort of like giving you access to a lawyer, and then you of sit course. in there for years and years and years. And it's laws horrible. can't prevent people from sharing. Number one, and number two, laws are often used as a threat. It's not necessarily we are going to do this. The chill factor comes in. With when a law actually is on the books and exists, it's the threat that creates the sort of permeability uh, and the ability for for our governments to to stop us from saying what we want to say. It's not necessarily yeah. just a law. And that that has laws Russia on the books too, that are never that acted on. Russia too, because it, look at Navalny. How long is he in jail? I mean, it, it's it's Russia Navalny is, not is in jail for corruption. It's not it's not in jail because he spoke out against the government. So they didn't jail him for that. But but, in, but we've seen opposition. Uh, uh, every person opposing Putin very public about it and gaining traction, um, getting they jailed or fine. poisoned. They seem to be um, fine. Most of them are fine. They get poisoned. They get poisoned. Gotcha. Feel free. Pop pop pop. Just sitting okay. there with your hand up. Um, you can jump right, in, man. Okay. Let's have a couple questions here. Ian, where do you live? Malaysia? Why? 
Why do you live in Malaysia? Because I was born here. Okay. But have you got American <laughs> citizenship? Have you got US citizenship or do you have any association with the United nope. States? Okay. What about oh, Russia? Been there though. Yeah. Okay. And nope. did you ever feel when you were living or working or being in the US for an extended period of time, if you were, that you could say something and you weren't fearful of something coming on your back? Nope. I, of course I felt that. You felt of course it. I felt that. It's called cancel culture. Yeah. Okay. So cancel culture is an online process which has been appearing more and more in certain ways of life, in certain places like universities. But at no point is cancer culture a systemic threat to the actual way that you can live as a person, as someone who actually no, it is. has lived. It, is. it means that you can't get a job anymore, and then you're destroyed. Okay, yeah. so look at what's happening here you, right now. So you would prefer, if I'm understanding you and other people on these spaces that I engage with... I like the laws to be clear, Piotr. You would prefer to live in Russia than the United States? Yeah, you would. because the laws are clear. They tell you, yeah, they tell you exactly what would happen if you do X, Y, and Z. I don't like living in a place that, that implies that something bad could happen to you because that chills speech. There's a reason can I, why, can I, for I, instance, I, on I, Facebook I, or Twitter, up, up, you have no up, idea up, what up, can get you banned. Okay, so back up there a little bit. So you are happier, if I'm understanding you correctly, to live in a country where your freedom of speech is extremely constrained. Oh, do, do Piotr. There's, there are things here where I live that I cannot talk about. Yeah, okay, and, but that's it's what fine. I'm you so know what? It, it's like, Ian, hey, you're not, you know the law. Mario, this is But Ian, is, is, is there... Allow me to speak. So, go ahead. Go. Yeah. So, go, he is, he is, he is. That's okay, good. go ahead. So, and this isn't a personal attack at you, man. I'm just trying to dissect what you're saying as an independent party who's, who's just joined the room, right? So from what I understand from some people, not necessarily only you, you would prefer to live in a country where the laws are very clear. So you have a restrained freedom of speech, but it's very clear what you can and can't say instead of a country where you can say much more, but you're concerned by the prospects of potentially being put in jail. And, and it's and a it's fucking minefield. Yeah. Right. So you right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I lived in Singapore say, for years. country where your overall... I did. I lived in, I lived in Singapore, which is one of the world's most autocratic countries in the world. There's so many things you can't talk about. You can't talk about race where, where it pertains to the uh, Singaporean governorship. You cannot talk about that. That will throw you in Singapore's jail. Like Emosi, he was a pedophile, by the way. He was thrown in jail because he attacked the government, right? And you know what? Fuck that guy. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, but Ian, Singapore's not and has never been a democracy. It's a family sort of I know. run business. It's a wonderful fucking place. It's, a, it's, it's a wonderful place where the laws are enforced. But it's also not replicated. It's an awesome but place. It's, also not, it's a wonderful place. It at the scale of the US or other countries. Nobody's saying... What, what argument are you making, Piotr? That, that's besides the point. I'm saying it is an autocratic I'm, I'm country and it's good. You're benefiting from something I'd rather that live you're there. I'd rather live in a place that tells you X, Y, and Z. Don't do these things. It will it will land you in trouble. Just don't do these exact things, and, and, and you'll be fine, right? You I'd rather be... live in a place where the laws make sense versus a place that says, "Oh, you got all this freedom," and then you're you're you're, you're stepping into a minefield where anything you say could result in your demise. Like to me, that is bullshit. It's fucking scary to not know what to be able to say or what you right. can't say, what will get so you canceled. That, that you tell a joke. Oh my is, god, is, there goes your many, career. Hold on. Which 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 social media? So in the U.S., you've got so, you know. Let's talk about Twitter. Is Twitter allowed in Russia right now? Yes. Is Meta allowed in Russia? Uh, yes. The problem is Meta bans Russians, so you know it's it's kind of like a one sided it, thing. It, it's yeah. not allowed in Russia, and that's that's just incorrect. 
Um, no, no, it is allowed. You use a VPN because that's the only way to access to Facebook. No, but that's but that's not but that's, that's, but that's not allowed. Yeah, you shouldn't that have to. But fa- Facebook banned it. Facebook banned Russia. Do you get it? Like it, it's so funny. You say that Russia no, banned XYZ. It's like well, Russia, they banned it first, Facebook didn't they? Elements of Russia. Hold on, I've got another. Okay. So, so hold on. So, so let, me, let me make it very clear here. You're going from maximalist. Facebook banned, you know, Instagram banned Russians. From no, they didn't platform. ban you know all that, Russians, right? mate. They banned certain types of Russians with certain. They banned the fucking IP blocks. But also what do you think happens when you ban an entire IP? You like Twitter because you like Twitter. Um, Elon Musk doing what he wants with the platform. Well, unfortunately, I don't. And let me make this very clear. This is not what yeah, I. Like. I mean, obviously. Obviously, obviously, Russia, you know, uh, blocked them back on, because Twitter, they failed to comply Twitter with was, the law. I, I, Twitter, I'm actually Twitter, DMing with a Russian right now, and he's telling me, right, that Russia blocked Twitter and Facebook because they didn't comply with the law. And the law is on, basically pertaining to Russia's rules on hate speech. So in Feb- February 22, uh, China, Iran, Myanmar, North Korea, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, who we all agree have all have a pretty horrible track record on free speech, and Russia – have blocked access to Twitter. Yeah, because of hate speech laws. Because the the reason of Facebook in particular is they started a lot. We just talk about we just. Sorry, go ahead. You're, you're kicking. No, hold on, hold on. Like, if I'm going to speak, you're not going to fucking interrupt me every single yeah, five seconds, okay? Like, you don't like it when I do that. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm not losing my temper. I'm just saying, shut up for a while. You know, the point is, okay, the point is. Facebook has enabled hate speech. They allowed glorification of Nazis on Facebook. You know this, right? This was lobbied by the Ukrainian government to allow the promotion and glorification of the Azov Battalion and other elements of the neo-Nazis in in Ukraine. Because they claim that it's okay to actually glorify the deaths of Russians. It's okay to glorify Nazis because, oh my God, we're being invaded. And, And Facebook agreed with it. They agreed with the lobbyists and they did that. And this is what caused them to violate the law. And that's why Russia banned them. Um, before you go, yeah, Piotr, Facebook, you know, has never, got... Facebook has never banned. Um, just so you guys know, um, in my background, I can tell you that Facebook has a, a, a different reason for not banning certain things, and it has to do with actually being able to locate things. So they're different. Uh, I just want to go to Ian, because um, we just talked about how things shouldn't be censored and community notes are a solution. Um, we saw v- you know, a certain level of censorship in in the US and we're all up in arms against it. And um, we got Russia not censoring to a certain extent but just blocking Twitter altogether. Is that wouldn't you say that this is would you agree with that decision or do you think that this is this goes against what we're the the argument I mean, we're trying to make? I think it's I think it's a complete besides the point. I mean, they don't fucking pretend to be a liberal democracy, do they? Singapore doesn't. You're so why are we holding if down I, to America's again, standards? If, I, if we do some psychoanalysis here, then Ian, and again, I like you, man. I think you've got some good insights, and, and, and I find I your... You too, Piotr. And I think your memes are fun. But carry like, on. You know, why don't you just get to your point? Why don't you just get to your point and skip the uh, flattery? If we look at what's happened here, um, you're quite on the defensive, and you're saying not to be interrupted, yet you've done it more times than anybody else on the stage, so let's have some consistency. Um, to the actual point, I think that what's revealing to me is that it's not so much even you like or defend the Russian or Chinese or whoever it is states. It's more you're just really angry with the hypocrisy of the West. And those are two different things. 
I want to make it very clear for a lot of people listening that I don't agree with a lot of what the American state is doing. I don't agree with a lot of things that the British state is doing. Ten years ago, the British government was uh, had the most amount of security cam- uh, cameras of anybody in the world. Uh, Britain was the most surveillance country per person in the world. I think it's changed now. But the point is, Western countries do do this. Everybody spies on everybody all the time. It's inevitability of life. Um, but the thing is that the you know what you're getting if you live in an autocratic state because you live there and you're like, right, OK, um, I'm in a place where my rights are a little bit more com- um, comparable. I- I'm not as easy to go able to do things. I need to watch my P's and Q's and so on. In a democratic state, you'd like to think that you can do that. But if you live in somewhere, I don't know, New Zealand or some other places and you speak ill of the government, you're not likely to be imprisoned unless you do something that is perhaps against this slightly woke agenda. Yeah, I get that. But it's still, I think, a bit of a stretch and disingenuous to compare the ability to say that I don't agree with, you know, like what did uh, what did um, uh, Justin Trudeau do a few years ago? He said, you know, he corrected a woman, ironically, by mansplaining, by saying, oh, no, it's not mankind, it's people kind. That's a suppression and suffocation of language, and that is wrong. But to compare that is the same equivalency as someone who is actually put in jail in gulags simply because they're protesting the uh, political system within that country is not really fair. Um, Alexander well, Navalny is not my... <coughs> freedom trucker protest. <coughs> yeah, freedom <coughs> trucker protest is a good example. Also, a good example, you know... But well, I will land with this point. But, which is Trudeau, that's a bit disingenuous to, to claim that. Navani it's a bit disingenuous to, to claim that the UK isn't doing stuff Russia like that because, because people have gotten arrested. getting poisoned. So I think we need to be a little bit fair with these comparisons. The trucker protests. Yeah, well, let's, okay, let's let's talk about fairness about comparisons, okay? Because well, in the UK, people get jailed. Okay, a girl was fined and she was jailed because she said the N word in a obituary post about her dead friend. They call it hate. How speech. long was she? How long was she jailed for? Three months, and then she got community service because she posted the N word. Yeah, Somebody think, reported I think, her. I think. Um, I think. Look, we're going to find flaws in almost every country. People are being arrested for praying silently outside of uh, abortion centers. You know, like people are in, 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 the, in the West, right? All these liberal democracies, people are being arrested. Uh, in, in Canada, a, a, a boy, a teenage boy was arrested because he protested. Uh, he, you know, he was outside of his school where he was suspended for uh, yeah. going against the, uh, you know, it's a Catholic school. He was opposed to them having trans bathrooms, right? He was yeah, opposed that, to it. That and Justin Trudeau's she experience, as it's called, always she in front. I'm sorry, it doesn't compare to Novacek. I'm going to have to take that, that point. It just doesn't. There's just no comparison. Oh, yeah, but the interests apply more to American citizens. I wanna, your tax I wanna, dollars before, are being weaponized. Before, 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 before you, before you, before you, before you jump in, bro. Get Prodigal, Prodigal. Just see, Aaron has been waiting for a while, man. I know he, I brought you up, bro. So good to, good to, yeah. good to have I mean, you. We should also Aaron, mention I'd love... how the, uh, the, you know, in Virginia, the FBI, their office decided to target every single Catholic who performed Latin Mass. They were targeted as white supremacists, as extremists who needed to be suppressed. Do you know how fucking insane that is to go after Catholics for praying? Aaron, like, I wanna, yeah. I wanna, I, 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 wanna uh, I, I wanna, I wanna go to to yeah, you, Aaron. Yeah, and to, I've got a question. Yeah, Aaron, yeah, Aaron I, yeah. I, I've got a question for you because you, you've heard a good a good debate. Um, I, I jumped in a bit, but it was mainly Ian and, and Piotr about censorship in the U.S., which we've been very critical of. And in this case, we're really focusing on, on Russia, but I'd like to add China to the mix as yeah. well. Um, are you able to give us your thoughts on comparing both countries? Yeah, Where do you stand? Absolutely. And I, 
I'm going to attempt to kind of reconcile this debate by saying that the, the either or of, you know, do we want to live in a regime where the laws are clear and it, it one knows clearly whether what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say is going to run afoul of the law or do I want to live in a regime that supposedly has more free speech, but where there are these kind of arbitrary punishments, legal, cultural, or otherwise, that I might run afoul of, and that has a chilling effect on my speech. And what I want to say is, at least in the United States, we shouldn't be facing that dichotomy. And the reason is the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, the Supreme Court has said very clearly in multiple precedent cases that that amendment of the Constitution requires that every law be sufficiently clear that a person can know whether or not what I'm about to do would violate the law. And without that clarity in the definitions and in the laws themselves, uh, our constitutional rights are being violated. And this is, this is actually an issue that came up in a recent censorship case. So I'm a plaintiff uh, in a case called Hogue v. Newsom here in California, challenging a California law called Assembly Bill 2098, which is a medical misinformation, medical censorship law. We challenged this law where the medical board can basically punish physicians for saying anything that contradicts the quote-unquote current scientific consensus on COVID. And what we're arguing is, number one, this violates the First Amendment free speech rights of physicians. But number two, it also violates the equal protection rights under the 14th Amendment, because the definition of misinformation in the law is not sufficiently clear that a doctor can know uh, whether or not he, what I'm about to tell a patient might run afoul of the law. And interestingly, the judge recently enjoined the law. He issued a temporary injunction, basically halting the law while the case is being tried. And he said, I'm not even going to opine on the free speech issue, because on the 14th Amendment issue alone, on the lack of clarity in the definition of misinformation in the law, the law, you know, on the face of it appears to be unconstitutional. So we shouldn't. So that's a long way of saying we shouldn't be facing this kind of dichotomy that that Ian proposed. I, he proposed it because we seem to be facing that dichotomy. But if we're in a regime here in the United States where the law is insufficiently clear, or would you have these federal actors that are making up their own definitions of disinformation, misinformation, and surreptitiously punishing citizens, then those then our constitutional rights are being violated. And we don't actually have free speech, uh, even if, you know, we still have a First Amendment on paper. So, you know, my answer to the argument is I'd rather live in a regime where we both have clarity of the law and the kind of robust First Amendment free speech protections that Americans are supposed to be guaranteed. And in fact, we should live in that regime because the Constitution, as it's been interpreted by the Supreme Court and the lower courts, guarantees both of those rights. Yeah, yeah so, so, so that. I very quickly I, 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 is um, um, I've got a 30 second comment, Brian, um, is I, I think that that's a fair point, but I, I don't think we're comparing. I think we're picking certain bits of these elements and are not keeping it consistently you specifically. But what I mean is that um, we can have um, much clearer laws. We need to absolutely, I think, make it clearer where the 
boundaries are, where the jurisdictions are, um, but also still have that freedom of expression. Right? We seem to be thinking that you can either have it's a it's a democracy and therefore it's all grey and it's not clear and there's this ne- uh, nefarious underpinning sort of you know encroachment on our values versus the autocratic countries. Right? It's if you do this, you you're screwed. Right? Well, we can perhaps adopt some of that clarity that the autocratic states have if that's what we want to do while still maintaining our freedoms, right? I think that that's something... I don't think we have to go to the autocratic state to be clear on our freedoms, right? I think we can still have our democracies, or whatever, but still have maybe those clearer boundaries set in place. Uh, and, 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 and that's what the... you know. But that's why it's hard, because democracies are much more of a complicated uh, system to to implement. Anyway. I want to quickly... That- Sorry, yeah, Malcolm, jump in, and then Brian and Patrick, I want you to kind of jump in as well uh, before we, 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 you know, Protocol brings the house down. Jump in, Black Malcolm. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, let me let me get in real quick before. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so you would argue that P- Peter, but um, you know, the issue here is that again, in a place that's labeled as a democracy, but also as an increasingly centralized government. The government's going to do everything in its path uh, or in its power to basically remove things that obstruct its path to maintaining said power. So they'll create these laws and these rules that are arbitrary, malleable, and are kind of a moving target. It's kind of like, would you rather exist in a uh, place that has a park that has a minefield or a place in a park that has the bombs clearly labeled? Because if the bombs are clearly labeled, you can advocate for getting those removed. Whereas if you're in a minefield... Well, best of luck to you, you know, especially if you got to cross the park for any purpose. Like we use things like the UK as an example. You know, UK recently back in December actually had somebody arrested. I think it was the director of the March for Life over that way arrested on the charge of a public space protection order for praying within the proximity of an abortion center. Now, the UK is uh, supposed to be a part of this Western democracy, you know, this Western democratic system that we have, right? Yet they have a law that runs afoul of that. Yet if you are under the auspices that this place supports free speech, you're you're pretty much screwed. And you didn't even know it. And it screws you over. And it's hard to combat that because everybody else still believes that it's free speech. And you can't even advocate for, you know, say, removing that landmine. So that's the inherent danger. Yeah, but Malcolm, with the West I, would, I, is, I, I get what you're saying. Would, there, but I, I, if, you think the, if you think that the democratic states are, you know, encroaching on the level that China is in terms of centralization and suppression of express and uh, expression and so on, mate, come on, I'm respectfully. They but, are doing that, that in Scotland. The yeah, yeah, sorry, jump in, uh, guys. Yeah, can I can I just say? Yeah, yeah, Ian, yeah, Ian, jump in, in and then Brian. Yeah, right, Hansa Yusuf has pushed for a uh, proposal, and, and this is largely agreed upon by the ruling party, the SNP, to criminalize hate speech at the dinner table. This is his own words. Basically, if you are at the dinner table and you start talking about immigrants, you're violating the law. You could go to jail for that. If someone in your family decides that they don't like what you just said at the dinner table, like you're having Christmas dinner and you you know, you know, said something that was awful about uh, immigrants, they can report you and get you arrested for hate speech. Like, this is yeah, what but they're the, proposing. We only have to beat the bar of uh, communist China. I mean, that's all. As long right. as we're doing better than China, I mean. Well, I mean, Brian, going back to the Twitter files. Well, hold on, Laura, 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 hold on, everyone, just please. Uh, Brian, because uh, hasn't spoken yet, and then Patrick hasn't spoken yet as well, and, and Prodigal. And then I'd like to get back to the Twitter files because, you know. Yeah, yeah, been, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but, so go, Brian, yeah. and then go, Patrick, yeah, and then yeah, Lauren, so, and then so, I'll go back on 
so, so, so Aaron, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying about the 14th Amendment having to do with your own case. I, I think that was a really good point. Uh, that, that what, what the judge said and, and all that, but but I, I do think it's different if you're going to try and link that to say a government agency supplying a list, which I absolutely don't agree with, uh, to a private company in order for them to investigate it themselves and see if their terms of service are being breached. I, I think one of them is a clear example of a breach of the fort, uh, uh, an abridgment of the Fourteenth Amendment. But the other, it's it's not. It, it's just it's immoral. I'd I'd argue, but it's just a, a government organization discussing with a private company something, not forcing, not not saying you must remove these people because this all these people on this list are bad or, or bots or whatever you want to call them. So they're just giving the list just because they're just shooting a breeze, right? Nice little conversation. They don't yeah. expect anything to come of it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way, Brian. Uh, this form of collaboration. Yeah, yeah but it, it does. It, when it there's does. an asymmetry of power. No, I mean, there's actually there's actually several free speech court case precedents that say even if it, even if it looks like it's a cooperative relationship, because of the asymmetry of power, it's the government involvement in censorship. I would love to see see one of these cases. The government cannot be involved in censorship. I'll send you the references. There's there's several references in our complaint filed in the Missouri v. Biden case, which is directly relevant to these Twitter files. Uh, That's a case where we're alleging government collusion with social media companies. But, But we also know, even setting that issue aside, we also know that that's not how these relationships actually functioned. So we have a lot of evidence now, both uncovered in in that Missouri v. Biden case and uncovered in the Twitter files that there was harassment, bullying, intimidation. Oh, oh, no, no. So, so Aaron, I, I totally agree. If that's the case, and said, it, it, you know, let me just say, if that's the case, then I, I agree with you. What I'm saying is we don't have evidence of that. No, we do have evidence of the Biden-Harris administration no, 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 announced no, no, just now. Guys, 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 hold on, hold up. They just announced the- They just announced a national cybersecurity strategy, and they talk about how they want to rebalance their responsibility to defend cyberspace by shifting the burden of cybersecurity away from individuals, small businesses, and local governments onto the organizations that are most capable and best positioned to reduce the risk for all of us. Basically, they want to turn, you know, companies like Facebook and Google into censorship apparatuses, right? But and part of this strategy... Ian, Ian, can I just... They even said really here awesome. that they're working with allies and partners to make secure, right, reliable, and trustworthy global uh, security chains hold on, hold on, information Brian, and communications technology and uh, operational Ian. technology products and services. I mean, this, the, guys, if, if it wasn't Ian, fucking Ian, obvious Ian, enough Ian, that they're trying to Ian, censor Ian, everybody, Ian. here's the evidence. Ian. They announced the it. Tisa, the guys, can you please also, guys, guys, and Laura, can you, can everyone just stop for a second? Like, I, I would like everyone to have a chance to speak. Um, Just Brian just jumped off. I'd love him to make his yeah, point. Yeah, because he freaked out. Because he was wrong. Uh, no, I think he was just getting frustrated because no, he was making a you're point. you're being a tyrannical, Ian. You're ruining the conversation. Oh, yes, a rooting conversation with facts. How dare I? I mean, better have feelings, you know, like feelings before facts, guys. You know, I'm, I, my gut feelings invited me in 12, you know, like never mind the shit that he puts out there. His own administration says, yeah, by the way, no, we're going to start Ian, turning, you know, y'all Ian. into uh, cybersecurity apparatuses. Sure. Uh, Ian, but we just had the, the thing is, I agree with your point. Like you're making good points, but like when you, the, Brian was frustrated because he was just interrupted. And then Piotr again was just muted, so he, they just both left. Um, I think that's what. I didn't him. mute him. I didn't mute him. 
Uh, whoever muted them, or maybe it was a glitch. So, uh, so I'll tell them it was a glitch because I was muting a bit earlier. Uh, but I, I know we want to continue with the thread, so maybe jump. Uh, maybe it's a good time to continue with the thread if you don't mind, Ian. And then uh, we'll let Patrick uh, speak first. Afterwards. Let Patrick speak because he's had a hand up for like yeah, thirty j- minutes now. Yeah, sure. Jump in, Patrick. Hey, uh, just quickly, if, uh, Brian uh, was looking for a case, uh, go to Changizi versus uh, Health and Human Services. This is a lawsuit by the New Civil Liberties Alliance. And uh, CISA is a cyber infrastructure security agency that's um, nested under the Department of Homeland Security. And they have a specific policy in which they consider social media to be part of the critical election infrastructure. So it becomes a national security imperative, and they have what's called a whole-of-society approach to securing the nation's critical infrastructure. So this was used as the raison d'etre uh, for the mass censorship, a lot of which uh, Matt Taibbi has, uh, and his colleagues, Barry Weiss and the others, a lot of things that they've uncovered come under that sort of remit. That's where a lot of that stuff's coming from. And, and again, the private company defense that you hear a lot of people rushing to Facebook or Twitter's defense over the last three years, we all heard it. They can censor who they want because they're a private company as soon as the federal government is involved in any collusion to deny uh, First Amendment rights of any American citizens. All of a sudden you lose that uh, private company defense and you become a party uh, to a, a violation of someone's constitutional rights. So this is what's happening in the courts on multiple cases right now. Aaron pointed this out more or less in what he just said, which is absolutely um, spot on. But uh, the, the other thing I want to ask is, Ian and Mario, I've got a, a fun fact question for you. Um, guess how many uh, people were arrested for social media posting in the United Kingdom uh, in 2021? Uh, what do you think that number is? I'm going to guess about 3,000. How much? I'm going to guess 3,000. Pretty close, uh, Ian. Three thousand three hundred. Now, nice. during the same during the same period, how many were arrested for social media postings in Russia? I'm going to guess somewhere around a hundred. <laughs> um, sort of close, uh, about four hundred. Yeah, okay. Well, and you have the, uh, so what's the what's the what's the <laughs> sorry, protocol. I you, sorry, protocol. Go ahead. Uh, you were making a joke. No, I was cracking a joke. <laughs> Uh, okay, Patrick. Just they end up jumping off of buildings. I remember a lot of Russians. Uh, were but here's, a lot a, of here's the thing, you know, they like people like to bring up the Novichok thing and the poisoning. There's no actual evidence suggesting that these people were poisoned by Russian agents, and why would they do so quite publicly? But the idea that they were poisoned by Russia, and I'm not saying this to defend Russia. I'm just saying, where is the evidence? They're claiming, oh, Russia did this, and they're sloppy. Oh my god, they're so sloppy. Look at the stupid Russians. They're so sloppy, but also they're the greatest threat to mankind. Like, which is it, guys? Are they sloppy, or are they like the greatest spies ever? You know, like, you can't be, you can't do it both ways. And judging from what I've seen recently of what America's doing with the destruction of Nord Stream, it's like, maybe, you know, maybe the, you know, the British government killed these people themselves to stage a false flag. I don't know. Just putting it out there. Um, just a quick question for, um, Patrick. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what's the source of these two numbers? Um, the uh, well, what, one of them is uh, John, former uh, Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, John Anderson. He's got a show, and his guest was Constantine Kissin, who's a popular uh, online personality, and recently Oxford Debate Union that with that sort of story. So he quoted these numbers, 
I didn't get the provenance of those stats, but there are a couple of NGOs that keep records. The other interesting one is Belarus in 2022, 2,500 arrests for social media comments. That's from our house. It's an NGO that monitors things in Belarus and other countries. And that's probably because during the period of when there's this conflict that has officially began in February 2022, the government uh, clearly more kind of heavy handed. Uh, but do you have, I have a question, uh, Patrick. Do you, when you see, when you see, um, uh, have you ever seen uh, Putin do a speech on TV and then the reporters challenge him right after a speech and ask him questions and, and debate him uh, yes, live they have long on conversations air? with him, Mario. They have what? massively what? long conversations with Putin. That's the thing about Putin's speeches. He doesn't just talk there. He will go and talk nonstop with journalists, like endlessly. What? He doesn't just run away. Well, Mar- no, but, Mario, but, you, but journalists like attacking him and criticizing Mar- him live on air. Mario, because um, every time like, I see a pressure a pressure report by by Putin, it's generally very well behaved. Reporters ask him very like no one's really attacking him like they attack Biden, like they attack Trump, like they attack Obama or Bush. Where in the U.S. is very open mic and, and you've got people that are very critical of the president's but, live on air in front of the rest of the nation. Well, I think Patrick will respond to you. Biden's but hold, hold on, question and answer. He's, hold on, he's, he Mario. Uh, Mario, during the Biden administration, uh, I've seen absolutely. It's rare that he ever takes questions. Um, I don't think he's given more than. Correct me if I'm wrong. More than two press conference, open press conferences, really, during this first two years. Obama was the same, totally, uh, they handpicked the press corps at the White House. It's a they small room anyway. Oh, oh, Biden's but, but, much worse. I mean, every weekend no, but, he's in Delaware and he won't disclose the visitor's log. I mean, we have no yeah. idea. But this, hold up, protocol, what does that have to do with, what does that have to do with the point of uh, journalists debating a president live on camera? No, but at least, but at least you start hearing the the questions that should be asked. You start hearing the tough no. questions. Nobody no asked them going... tough questions, Mario. What, no what do you mean? Trump, Trump was questions. being Trump. Trump yes. was, what about, yeah, because they no, fucking Trump. hate Trump. Yes. Okay, no, okay. No, let's no, look at Trump, for example. Trump, uh, Trump, but there were journalists had the right to question him on camera. Mario, you have a good point. Mario has a great point because when Trump came in as president. He moved the press conferences from that closet that where the normal uh, White House press sessions were done. He moved it to the bigger room uh, wing of the White House, and he invited a, a pretty much a much broader array of media, including independent bloggers and things like that, plus the mainstream. And Trump would hold court for, you know, well over an hour, two hours sometimes getting grilled, um, hitting back. It was it was great. It was great to watch. So from the Trump administration, probably the most open in terms of media access, um, but then the, then the previous Democrat administration and the, and the subsequent under Biden. But uh, Putin does something that no one else does. He holds court. When he takes uh, questions, he'll sit there for three to four hours and with, I don't know, a thousand journalists there. And, and he'll sit there and he'll give nuanced uh, d- you know, analysis on everything from economic yeah, policy Patrick, to foreign policy. So, reported, so right? what I'm, but what I'm saying is that it's a very different relationship, um, in the, in the U S or in Europe with the press from country to country. Um, but Putin will, uh, go into detail about policy. will take challenges, intellectual challenges, things like that, that even U S presidents won't do because they, they'll just defer to their, uh, heads of departments or cabinet members. So, so in terms of the unitary executive, 
Russia's got a very different sort of style of public relations on. I've on got another side. question for you, Patrick. But I've got another question for you. Have you seen on Russian national? And, and I don't want to continue with the thread, so I don't want to continue this too long. But have you seen on na- Russian TV? Have you seen the same? It's very rare to see any criticism. No, of, that's uh, wrong, Putin. Mario. That's wrong. Actually, that's incorrect. Oh, uh, Ian, oh, let me just weigh in real quick. And yeah, I yeah, you, you, you go ahead. To say. Yeah, you go ahead. But it, it, yeah. listen, what's crazy about Russian television is, especially over the last, say, five to six years, um, there's so much opposition media in Russia, and guy like Bill Browder will get top billing on a lot of the top channels in Russia. They're bashing Putin twenty four seven. If you ask people who live in Russia or Moscow, they will verify this, okay? And so there's a lot of criticism against Putin, especially in the previous uh, years. Now now they're at war, Mario and Ian, everybody. Now they're at war. It's a different landscape right now because it's now everything's under a national security mantle. So it's a it's uh, things are it's arguably very, tighter. So another 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 question, Patrick. Would it be? Would you say it's as easy to find? So we do these spaces. We've criticized um, NATO's involvement in the war. There's multiple YouTube videos criticizing NATO's involvement or NATO causing the war. And I'm not saying I support that argument. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just making a point. Uh, we've seen people on TV start to question it. I'm not, the media is generally pro-Ukraine, uh, for sure. But I'm not, I'm, I'm saying there is, even on CNN, there's people that come in and talk about NATO's expansion, make that argument. So that argument is, 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 uh, very common to find in the West. Let's use the, let's focus on the US. In Russia, Patrick, would you say, and, and this is a pretty, it's not going to be hard to, to kind of prove or disprove. Would you say you could find... Can I answer this? The, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to so say that the, feel, yeah, the, the atmosphere is different because right now a lot of Russians feel that there's this existential threat to Russian culture, to Russian civilization. You know, the world is Russophobic. They talk about killing all Russians, about tearing it apart. So there is a sense of this unity among Russians that even among the liberals, among liberal Russians who typically criticize Putin, that they are under threat. They're under siege right now. And, uh, you know, they, they, they face a, a massive opponent, not just in the form of the United States or Ukraine, but in the form of NATO as a whole. Europe doesn't want them, right? They feel this sense of alienation. And it's a terrible feeling, you know, to, to feel like that. So they're rallying behind Putin. There's a reason why his approval ratings are you know, through the roof right now. And this is not because Russians are afraid to speak out against him. If anything, his biggest critics right now in Russia are, are people who are saying he's not going hard enough, that he's not mobilizing yep, fully. Not only that, there's, there's a whole contingent, a demographic. We call them the Russian liberal intelligentsia uh, in the metropolitan areas. I know, I know quite a few of them from previous years doing media and interfacing with RT from time to time. And there, some of them went to high school in America or they did university exchanges in America or Europe. Very pro-Western. They've always been pro-Western. And then things changed. After, after 2016, when the West started getting very, the hate, the sort of the rhetoric became a little more vociferous and, and hateful. And they, then things have, cha- and things have changed. And if you talk to people in Russia, they'll tell you the same thing is that that, that pro-Western contingent among the intelligentsia, that it became smaller and smaller and people felt that, that they weren't welcome anymore in the West. They're being, uh, discriminated against or, you know, they travel to the West, um, being looked at funny or a different attitude. So the relationship's different now because of the, I think a lot, largely because of the politics have changed in the West. Russians are the same. 
and, and generally have a lot of fealty, especially the middle class towards the West. So we really alienated them by going overboard with Russia I, I, I want, I, and everything. A lot of the problem right now. Can you hear me? Uh, sorry, I was muted. Uh, yeah, I was just saying, like, the points that you both made, I think, are valid. Uh, I'll go to Ravi for any final thoughts before Ian continues with the thread. But before going to Ravi, I've got one more question for you, Patrick, because I know you just jumped in. Um, uh, would you say, and if, if you could ask it directly, it would be great. And I don't want you to, crit- like, criticize um, Russia or the U.S., just an objective comparison. Would you say Russia has stricter censorship than the U.S., whether to independent media, um, you know, I know there's the law they passed. Um, you've, you know, there's you kind of made a point about less people arrested in Russia versus the U.K., but it'll be good to get see sources about this because that would be really surprising. And if it's true, that's, that's a whole discussion yeah, within true. itself. That's true. But the, the, the law, arrests. the the law about uh, 15 years jail time for anyone that spreads quote unquote fake news, or the the points that I made. The fact that Meta and uh, Twitter are both uh, banned in Russia. So so these – and Ian's kind of countered those points already. We had that debate. But I want to get your thoughts on this particular question. Without criticizing Putin, without criticizing Russia, just the point on is Russia – does Russia have stricter censorship than the US? Maybe you believe they should. I'm not saying they shouldn't. All that thing. do you think they have stricter censorship than the US? We all agree China does, but do you think Russia does? Well, you're talking to somebody who is deplatformed from Facebook uh, for 18 months and ended up in the Twitter files, plus has been deplatformed on uh, Twitter, Facebook, other platforms. So I- I've personally experienced this. And also, more in the UK, they banned the URL of RT.com and shut down uh, RT's uh, foreign bureaus. So, true. I was banned from PayPal, Mario. But, but I would say, I would say the United States and Andrew very, Tate it, as well. So, it's a good example. But go ahead. The Patrick. U.S. The, the U.S. is uh, the most uh, open in terms of like you can access RT.com. Although they threaten to censor the production company in D.C., so they shut down RT. Um, sanction them. So they, they shut down RT America. But um, America is generally better. We have uh, constitutional protections in America. Britain doesn't have that. Um, Britain has D-notices. They have Ofcom. They have, it's very heavy-handed. And they shut down your whole URLs banned at ISP level. So you can't even see Russian media outlets in, without a VPN. Okay. So f- as far as Russia goes, uh, they tend to be reciprocal. I think they were more open before. They're shutting down now, and a lot of this is tit for tat. Um, so they're doing this in response to Western censorship. It's probably very heavy-handed right now with the, uh, the the conflict that they're engaged in. Plus, there's, as Ian said, there's more of a national peer pressure. But we pressure. have, but Patrick, we, if you look at we, if you look at right now, just look at right now. Uh, Twitter does not even have censorship, and it's still allowed. That's because Elon Musk took well. over. Yes, yeah, Elon Musk took over. Elon Musk took. That's why Elon Musk took over. Okay, so Elon Musk, Elon the Merciful, all hail Elon uh, the Merciful. uh, Guys, uh, uh, just to 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 back to the point. So, so um, Twitter exists today, uncensored to an extent, of course, uh, in the U.S. In a weird space, and Twitter is in a weird space right now because people are trying to censor him. He's under tremendous pressure from New York and you have to uh, censor people. Yes, and you have other websites that are allowed. Uh, Is Reddit allowed in Russia? I don't know, but some, sure. some some websites might have been blocked. Um, so yeah, the, so the, there is there is uh, censorship in Russia. Probably on paper is probably more 
I'm just I'm just guessing, but it's probably more than the United States definitely on. In paper. August in August 2015, the whole of Reddit was blocked in Russia because mm. of because of a post made by a Reddit user on the site. The post is a guide for growing psilocybin psilocybin mushroom. So yeah, it was temporary. It was a temporary block. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, you're right. Sorry, sorry. I right, take bigger... it back. Yeah, yeah. The block was lifted the next day after Reddit complied. That's a fair point. So I can't use that as an example. Um, but, but nuance, a nuance the conversation, and it's not, Mario, because it's you, it's not. By the talk- way, just to to answer the question, it's not banned in Russia because not on the government's radar precisely because very few people use it. That's what. Um, but you have no you, 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 you got online that's social it, yeah. media censorship. Then you've got mainstream media censorship. You've got state kind of. I'm not so um, so, but yeah. So so so. So there's uh, different uh, types of censorship. I think. True, true. I'm not saying there's no, and we we've been one of the most vocal spaces on censorship. This whole space is on on censorship in the U.S. and we've covered the Twitter files more than anyone. Um, but I I um uh, yeah so so just to go to Justin Hart's quick thoughts on this and then I'll get R- Ravi's thoughts and then of course Ian I want to continue with the thread quickly uh, rapid fire but Justin I want to ask you the question because we had a pretty heated debate where Brian jumped off for the first time ever and and Piotr for the twentieth time but Justin um question for you um uh, do you think um Russia uh, has um Worse censorship than the U.S. and 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 the U.K. and the West. Oh, or that's oh no, definitely they have they have worse censorship in many ways. Uh, I, I know several people over there, as you know. I speak Russian and Polish, uh, and a couple Slavic languages. My Ukrainian's rough, my Serbian's okay. But talking to my colleagues over there, you know, there there's a general sort of avoid the other shoe from dropping feeling over there in Russia, which is to say people kind of go about their merry way. They don't have kind of the history of, uh, you know, that First Amendment sort of stuff. But uh, obviously it's a, a bit freer than it was in the Iron Curtain, but the threats are just different. I would say that's probably the the way that it's pronounced there is that, you know, there's, there's an entrepreneurial-minded spirit. Uh, you kind of have to there, – there's a lot of opportunities over there that have been there. Um, but it, it is a free for all. And then there's always just that threat of Big Brother coming after you. It's, it's not as obsequious and in your face as a wall, as it was when the wall was there. I visited in 89. I was in Poland in 1990, right as the wall, uh, right after the wall had come down and everything else there. And so it, it's just a, it's, it's, it's hard to articulate. Uh, I definitely think that this wasn't quite as opaque as it is in the U.S. and the West, right? I mean, in the West, I mean, you never know what you're doing might cause you to get in trouble. Uh, that's true, but but there have been actual numerous occasions where people are just straight up rounded up, thrown into the back of a car, and everything else. There, when that happens here, there at least is some recourse that you have, uh, and it becomes a national story. Well, but I, I would say we, we, you know, we have our threats over here. Yeah, I, I, maybe that's the we. I think that's actually probably onto it. It is more. They don't disappear, though. You know, I mean, let's just yeah. be clear about that, right? When when people in Saint Petersburg were being rounded up for protesting against the uh, invasion, they were not even jailed. They were put no. in lockup for about two yeah. hours. I actually know a couple of people who got rounded up, and and they were like, "Yeah, you just." Pay three hundred rubles and you're out. You know, like this is a misdemeanor. It's not a big. Deal. I think that's accurate. Maybe one way to well, put it is disappear people. Well, let me finish to finish this point. I think right, Justin. I think one threat that you have is that there is the threat here in the United States that this censorship can be codified, like it can be actually put into law, right? And that's kind of what we saw over the last three years when the the chance and, and threat of mortality is on the line. 
people do crazy crap. I mean, here in I'm, I'm actually in D.C. right now, but where I'm from in California, there's a law that uh, unless you tow the generalized line as a physician, you can use, lose your license. If you, if you dare, if you dare even submit ivermectin as a possibility for treatment on anything, uh, you're going to get questioned. If you dare write a note to a family that their kids shouldn't be forced to wear masks, you can absolutely lose your license. Uh, those are things that are actually codified into law. So I think that's the real threat that we have here in the United States is they're using the excuse of all these various boogeyman that they can bring up and you can bet those same tactics of lockdowns and even masks you know to contain the stuff you exhale those will those will be used for whatever sort of boogeyman they want to bring up probably climate change ravi i'd, I'd love your quick thoughts on this and then quickly slam in before ian continues with the thread ravi oh thank you mario ian really really appreciate it. i think you know i've been um, uh, you know following your space for such a long time the point about you know anti-hindu anti-right uh, in India. You know, we've been saying that for so many years. And of course, the insane Twitter regime, you know, with Jack Dorsey, the insane man, uh, you know, uh, the fact that today Matt is able to pull out those that data, I know it's directly and not uh, maybe indirectly related to BJP and Hindu uh, groups in India. It's such an important fact. In fact, I just sent a DM to the IT minister saying that this must be taken up in a very, very serious way because they've been muting, they've been shadow banning, they've been suspending accounts in thousands. You know, that insane, although Vijaya was Indian descent, but she was never an Indian. She was completely an insane person. And I can you can put me on record for here. You know, the fact that now we have something to fight with. and uh, But one thing which I've been, you know, struggling with, and maybe one of you can really help, is that, you know, I, I love what, uh, you know, you guys have done. I love what uh, Elon is doing with Twitter, but I really feel that India as a second market for Twitter, I think there's very little attention being given there, especially that there are thousands of accounts even today that are shadow banned and they're eager to be part of it because one thing which makes India different from a US market or a Europe market is that we were the first one to ban TikTok and really call the CCP out, right? Uh, and say that, you know, we cannot have TikTok working. So that's really it, you know, so I'm really grateful. I hope uh, we can do some more, uh, you know, uh, things out of this Twitter file. So any other information on Hindu groups being banned, the right groups being banned in India will be really, really uh, appreciated. Thank you so much for all the work you do. I think you might want to reach out to Matt Haibi. He might have more information about um, the involvement of Twitter, suppression of uh, Hindu nationalists. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. Thank you so much. If you can create any, uh, you know, connection would really be appreciated. You know, we will really take this up because, you know, India is right now working on a social media rule amendment. And really, and that was done really because of Twitter India, which was insane organization. And I think one, one of the best things uh, Elon did was get rid of about 90% of those crazy employees. And I'm saying that as an Indian uh, sitting in New York, though. And I know so many people celebrated, you know, the fact that 90% of Twitter India was asked to leave because they were working completely anti-Hindu, anti the regime, uh, completely insane. And, and Rob, you know, uh, as an India file myself, having done business there in, in past years, uh, you know, I always I'm fond of telling people you it's got, the largest. Jim, you got a lot of Jim, you got a lot of wind on your mic, man. Turn that up. Uh, lot, there's, I, I'm fond of saying, put your window up. I'm, I'm fond of saying that there is, um, that it's the largest English-speaking country in the world. I mean, this is a, a, a tremendous connection and an opportunity to uh, bring strength in the region to oppose China and India is the, the way to do that. And we got to 
we got to really dig into that. So I'm glad you're you're looking into it because it, it does need to change. We need we need India to be open up to to this social media that's good. So I'll, I'll go, uh, Ian, I, I'd want to I want to continue with the thread, Ian, if you don't mind, because I know we yeah, we, we, we went yeah, way we off topic. So for like so one hour, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you know. Uh, name would act. I'd like to weigh in on the actual files here, so I'll continue. Uh, um, 21, right? So DEC's report on China was more entertainment value than anything, said Roderick. Roderick is a Twitter guy. That it equates anything pro-China, but also anything against China in Italy as part of Russia's strategy. That's insanity, right? This is what was in the report. Twitter staffers said professionalism. They tended to look at least once before declaring a thing for disinformation. They made them a tough crap for the GEC. Fortunately, there's an easier mark, right? The GEC's game is to create an alarmist report. This is quite similar to what the state well, One second, did. Ian, one second. Back back yep. to 21 right, again. So, like, Matt right, writes about... What's that? No, I said, you, know, you, you go ahead and yeah, explain so it. Yeah, it, it, it. In these screenshots, so the, the headline there is, you know, uh, GEC reports China was more entertainment value than anything, whatever. But if you look at, again... There, th- these reports that are being sent to Twitter I- inside that in that screenshot, they're analyzing all these the COVID nineteen tweets as you know Russia amplifying you know conspiratorial narratives on COVID, and they're saying the percentage of them mentioned you know in Italy and in the U.S. and in China. So a lot of this, even though he's not writing about it on in the text of the tweet, a lot of it does. They are blaming Russia as amplifying COVID conspiracies. <laughs> Big dragnet. Big dragnet. Yeah, that's right. I'll continue then. And after it's, I'd like to go to Patrick. Well, that's, uh, I'll, I'll read a couple first. Yeah, um, let's get through to, let's get at least up to number 30 or 40, even 40 up. Like. Right, yeah. So the GC's game was you know, first to create an alarmist report, send it to the slower animals in journalism. Did uh, Ian drop out? Was it me? No, yeah, he lost. cut out. Yeah, somebody tried to call me. Yeah. Uh, all good, all good, Ian. All right, protocol, good. Uh, well, you join us back anytime, man. Um, Ian, yeah, you're back, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm just going to put on my uh, my focus mode so I can't fucking call in the middle of the damn thing. Nothing annoys me more, you know? Nothing annoys me more. Um, yeah, let me do that on mine. Yeah, for real. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just randomly call you now. Okay. All right. Uh... So create an alarmist report, send it to the slower animals and journalism's hurt, basically morons, and wait as reporters bang on Twitter's door, demanding to know why or this or that ecosystem is not obliterated. And Twitter emails ooze frustration at such queries. Ugh, reads one. And, you know, one of the emails is uh, Associated Press, a fact check and misinformation reporter named Amanda Seitz. Uh, she was asking that, uh, Twitter if they've taken down any of the reports yet. Another one's from CNN. Guy named Ian Plunkett. Uh, sorry, yeah, from Ian Plunkett is a Twitter guy, not not CNN guy. But he said, "Hi, folks, checking in to see if we have any information uh, from state. We've CNN onto us this evening. Uh, this evening, with renewed focus over the weekend, expecting a round of media over this. Uh, okay, uh, another guy, Tony Rom. Uh, not really sure who, who he works for, but he's like, hey, y'all, hope you're well. Uh, sorry to bug, especially on the weekend, but you got a few minutes to check uh, to chat. Sorry." In short, I have this GEC report, or at least a version of it. I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, another one, Washington Post, uh, was sent. Not exactly sure from whom, but, you know, all these uh, Twitter people, they're pretty pissed off about it. They're like, ugh, you know, like, you know, this crap again, right? So, yeah, 
the journalists are clowns. They're basically a GC puts out some nonsense and then they bite and then they ask Twitter, Hey, why haven't you banned all these, you know, there's 2 million Russian accounts. So Twitter disagreed with the GEC's alert about Russian disinformation in South America, which appeared to cause, uh, which appeared to confuse uh, cause and effect. As Roderick's put it, uh, I believe what they mean is there was a surge in accounts that agreed with Moscow line narratives, Moscow controls, right? So any, essentially anyone in South America tweets something that, I don't know, that Moscow might agree with. You know, I guess they're Russian bots, have to be. And so this email, this is from Aaron to uh, Kevin. And then, you know, it goes over how there's no criteria for uh, for what they consider Russia aligned beyond accounts that, uh, you know, amplify RT or Sputnik. And yes, uh, we have seen waves of accounts from Ecuador and Venezuela retweeting these two media accounts and have conducted cleanups on major protests. Uh, sorry, cover, uh, not cleanups, but I can't read this exactly. This fucking email is a bit trashy. Um, basically, they've been covering the stories about what's happening in Venezuela and so on. And so Twitter says, you know, I believe what they mean is there was a surge of accounts that agreed with Moscow allowed narratives. Therefore, you know, uh, they've been painted as Moscow controlled. Uh, I used to train the State Department in making these analyses, and at the best of times, they were on a rudimentary side, considering heavy turnover and upheaval across the department and the administration, as well as the current uh, crisis they are facing. The research methodology is possibly more ideologically aligned than evidence-based. This is the this is what Twitter said. Like this is a person who worked at the State Department, and he has trained these an, an, an analysts, and he said that he believes that all their takes, right, their so-called analysis was not based on the facts, it's based on ideology. And so his recommendation is, I recommended pushing back against the allegations that they're uh, making without hard data, peer-reviewed research, or even data released to the public, etc. Anyone can make unsubstantiated allegations. If they release their alleged Russians, they will likely get laughed out of the room by real researchers. Both accounts mentioned in the article are inactive and haven't tweeted in years but are stated as having deleted their accounts according to the author. So without any data to back up their claims, I'd be very skeptical towards their supposed analysis. Cheers, Aaron. Right. So, yeah, this is Aaron Roberts saying that. Uh, number 26. Roth noted that Bl Brett Schaefer of the Alliance of Securing Democracy, let's say ESD again, was quoted in Frankel's story and says, themes like ASD are back at their old tricks. So, Yolorov was quite angry about all these people, these think tanks. He said, strong plus one to everything Aaron said, right, Aaron Rodericks. It's certainly true that Russia operates and influence operations in Latin America, principally the Spanish-language RT, which is the highest engagement RT account globally. But without more evidence to back up the more dramatic claims, I don't think there's much we want to do here, right? right that said, flagging this for Nick, it seems like ASD are back to their old tricks, despite the merits of the new Hamilton. And this is a screenshot of, uh, you know, the, this article, Brett Schaefer, who works at the ASD, an initiative of the German Marshall Fund of the United States, said some Twitter accounts spreading this information in Venezuela could be traced back to the IRA, the uh, Internet Research Agency, which is run by, you know, Russia or whatever. But there's no evidence of this. This is, again, this is bullshit, right? This is what he basically says. Roth was referring to the fact that ASD created Hamilton 68, which in the previous Twitter files drop, we discovered it was a so-called dashboard, but all they did was create, you know, guilt by association. Uh, I believe uh, Patrick was on that list, if I'm not mistaken. He was on the uh, Hamilton 68 list, if you want to speak up, Patrick. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I know the person who put me on the list, too, is the guy who runs uh, Hamilton 68. Um, yeah, 
Clint Watts. So I I criticized him during the 2016 election uh, in a couple of articles at 21st Century Wire uh, about this uh, allegations of Russian hacking the DNC. And that a couple of those articles went viral, and I, I ended up probably on quite a few lists after that. But um, yeah, so maybe he had it's a, it's a badge, grind. Patrick. It's a badge. It's a badge of honor now. So it's a, it's, you should thank them. Hundred percent. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, hey, but you know what's interesting about this uh, Twitter dump with Matt Taibbi as well is he, he gets into the DFR Labs, and that's a subsidiary of the Atlantic Council and their Global Engagement Center. And, you know, they've been running these, they've been profiling users online for years. They did, um, I, I was doxxed and then put in a, a, a list of uh, Russian something or rather in 2018. And they did a whole feature. They dedicated a whole feature to me because I had made a statement on a, on a RT uh, news broadcast uh, as a volunteer analyst. And I said, John McCain has aligned himself with neo-Nazi factions in Ukraine. And this was around the time when John McCain, U.S. Senator, uh, died. And so they said that, that I was pushing a Russian uh, influence campaign by uh, somehow, you know, selling the name of uh, John McCain. And look, um, I'm from Arizona, and I'm telling you, there's no, there was no more divisive politician in America than John McCain, especially with Republicans and the anti-war left. So, you know, to, to make a deal out of that, that's what the Atlantic Council was doing. And he's on, McCain was on stage with Oleg uh, book and Privy Sector in uh, December of 2013. So, but, but the whole idea was to attack journalists, bloggers, anybody that would go against whatever the sort of foreign policy line was. And that's what they're profiling, that what they call disinformation is dissenting opinion. They're just calling it disinformation. And so they get funding on that basis from all these different agencies well, to run all these different projects. Mm. Uh, uh, Ian, I'd, I'd love to continue the thread. I know Slayman has his <laughs> hand up. So Ian, maybe go yeah. through a few more tweets, maybe even wrap it up, and then we'll get, get Slayman's thoughts. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we got to also go – we got to kind of – Mine's – Sorry, guys. Sorry, yeah. I, was, I'm, I agree. Uh, I'm, put, I'm putting my hand down because uh, let Ian finish because mine was a, a point what you asked about oh, appreciate earlier. appreciate it, man. Okay. Sorry, people are messaging me. Uh, Ralph is referring to the fact that the ASD created Hamilton 68, guilt by association scheme, detailed in Drew Files 15. The dashboard was uh, claimed to track accounts linked to Russian influence activities, but the list is largely made up of Americans, so that's a screenshot of it. Now, the Hamilton 68 dashboard creator, J.M. Berger, uh, was under a GEC payroll until June 2017, just before the dashboard's launch. Hamilton claimed the list was uh, the fruit of more than three years of observation. Berger uh, unequivocally uh, denies working on Hamilton for the GEC. So Matt actually reached out to him, and Berger replied. He said that, uh, I checked my records to verify my recollections, and I need to correct the headline, sorry, the timeline. Uh, I worked at the, for the GEC as a co- contractor uh, to uh, through June 2017, not January. I emphasize again that I unequivocally deny that my work on the Hamilton dashboard was directed by the GEC, nor was it coordinated with the GEC in any way. At no point in this project did the GEC have any input or involvement whatsoever. So that's his claim. Um, Hamilton 68 dashboard, this is Matt continuing in number 30, uh, employed digital alchemy to create streams of headlines tying Americans to foreign disinformation. The ecosystem reports uh, GEC and many disinformation laboratories. Uh, feed reporters are often just subtler versions of the same thing, right? And this is a bunch of headlines that we saw, on, you know, previously. A lot of it is, is you know, 
They're like, why the Kremlin is still active on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube? Or, Twitter suspends China-backed accounts that spread propaganda. Or, China spends billions on Russian disinformation, U.S. Envoy says. You know, just all these nonsense headlines. In a crucial in-house Q&A in mid-2017, Yul Roth was asked if it was possible to detect Russian fingerprints using Twitter's public data. Though you can make inferences, he said, in short, no, it's not possible, right? So he's, he, this is his response. He said, although you can make inferences based on public data about whether you believe an account is Russian, Google's access uh, from the firehose is broader than most, including any academics, but it's not deeper in terms of the actual data they have available. The most likely way they could have identified something on Twitter that pointed to something on their end was using link data from tweets and then seeing if those are promoted through DoubleClick or affected Google News or something like that. So it's basically really, 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 really hard, if not impossible, to determine if an account is Russian. So if Twitter and Google can't even figure it out, what makes these idiots think they can, right? That's the point he's trying to make. Twitter therefore knew that from the first days of the foreign interference mania that the media zone was flooded with bad actors playing up cyber threats for political or financial reasons, including the GEC. Quote, the GEC has doubled their budget by aggressively overstating threats through unverified accusations that cannot be replicated either by external academics or by Twitter, wrote Aaron Roderick's. This is where, you know, it goes back to like the first one of the first things I said when on the space was that it's feature creep, right? They broadened their scope and they got funding for it, right? And and here's what he said. Here's what Roderick said. The GEC has doubled their budget by aggressively overstating threats to unverified accusations that cannot be replicated either by external academics or even by Twitter. So they aren't operating with the greatest of credibility when they make announcements about accounts or widespread disinformation. Considering their track record of providing $1.5 million to a group that attacked any journalists opposed to war in Iran as pawns of their regime. So that's insane, right? And it links to a Talking Points memo article uh, that points to the accuracy when their counter-Iran campaign deliberately targeted U.S. journalists that agreed with the policy of the U.S. government. So anyone who disagrees with the U.S. government suddenly is a bad guy, right? That's insane. Now, the same is true of New Knowledge, which is another company. Uh, the scandal-plate company staffed by former NSA officials that the State Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, or the SSCI, hired to do expert assessments of the initial batches of suspect Facebook Twitter accounts. Uh, when Twitter saw new knowledge and its reporter worshipped disinformation gurus like Jonathan Morgan and Rene de Resta were making analytical uh, le- leaps, uh, they felt impossible. They knew something was off. God, I misread that so much. After Politico cited a new knowledge report to the SSCI as evidence for what it called a sweeping effort to sow divisions, uh, sow divisions Twitter dug in. NK, went new knowledge, pointed to five supposedly Russian accounts that they said were relatively easy to find with the Twitter public API. Now, this is a political article saying that, quote, reports show Russia-mounted sweeping effort to sell divisions support Trump. <laughs> okay. So here's what Yul Roth replied in his email privately to all the other Twitter guys. He said, bots on the same botnets appear to be still active and are relatively easy to find with a Twitter API. These accounts, for example, have similar patterns to bots that are in the provided data, and there's a bunch of accounts there. And, uh, and he says, although the bots are not doing anything malicious now, they're available to be repurposed for future malicious use, right? Uh, this was what the, uh, not not what Yul Roth wrote, sorry, this is what uh, Politico said. Uh, Roth replied, he said, uh, two of the five accounts were small Indonesian content farm, just commercial spam. He will suspend them, but doesn't throw uh, fire on, uh, but doesn't want to throw, he would have suspended them, but he didn't want to throw fire on the NK report by making everybody think that they were correct. 
And then the Becca account, which is one of the five, is an American account and not at all suspicious. And that's what he said. So they misidentified a random American account as being, you know, disinformation, Russian disinformation, even though it's probably just a Trump supporter. Twitter's Nick Pickle says in number 38, says, new knowledge pitch, pick accounts that they deem to be IRA controlled. IRA is an internet research agency controlled by Russia. Uh, and then spin up a bigger macro analysis. Stories about 2,000 Russian accounts tweeting about Kavanaugh or, or the walkaway movement, which, you know, Brendan, he has been in here, right? Like uh, the walkaway, the guy who founded it, he has been in here. Basically, they claimed he was a Russian agent because of this. Uh, often based on activity, media activity by from NK. And NK is misidentifying people, and this is what Nick Pickles wrote. He says, for everyone's wider awareness, this goes to the heart of new knowledge's pitch. They pick accounts that they've deemed to be IRA control, spin up bigger macroanalysis, and then we saw about two thousand you know, uh, stories about two thousand uh, Russian accounts tweeting about all these things. It was based on media activity from NK. God, I read the same thing. So just like Hamilton 68, the GEC and New Knowledge littered the media landscape with flawed or flat-out wrong news stories, exacerbating matters. Americans in both cases paid taxes to become the subject of these manipulative operations, right? So essentially, they, you know, for instance, here's a CNN account saying Russian bots are using hashtag walkaway to wound the Democrats in the midterms. This is nonsense. This never happened. Right? The Russians are not involved in that. Another one from Fast Company says support for Brett Kavanaugh seems especially high among Russian propagandists. Again, based on flawed analysis, there are no Russian accounts supporting these things. And yet, and yet, this is claimed in the media based on flawed analysis that Russia was behind the backing of Brett Kavanaugh, right? Who was elected, you know, selected, sorry, by uh, uh, Trump to, uh, you know, become a member of the Supreme Court. So... Matt Taibbi continues in number 40, particularly egregious, right? A new knowledge report to the Senate on Russian interference was leaked just days before it was outed in a scheme to fake Russian influence in an Alabama election, and no media outlets issued retractions. No SSCI staff commented either, right? So you, you know, here's some of the headlines. One of them reads, new report on Russian disinformation prepared for the Senate shows operations scale and sweep. Another one reads, Senate reports find millions of social media posts by Russians aimed at helping the Trump and uh, in the GOP, right? Another one from Axios says, Senate commission report shows scale of Russian misinformation campaign. I remember these articles. Now, according to Matt Taibbi, foreign cyber threats do exist, and there are sophisticated ways of detecting them. But the GEC and its subcontractors do not use those, instead deploying junk science that often lumps true bad actors in with the organic opinion. So, you know, for instance, you support X, Y, or Z, you support Trump. Somehow you're a disinformation activist, right? According to them, you're a Russian. So, 42. Disinformation studies has mostly become a con, right? Where non-experts mesmerize reporters with one former GEC staffer calls hairball charts with measuring something idiotic, like who follows two Chinese diplomats or shares an opinion like uh, Free Palestine, right? And, you know, one of the examples here, I forget exactly which this is from, it shows, oh, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of stupid charts, just a bunch of stupid charts that don't mean anything, like, or a meme that says Palestine will be free, you know. If you share that, suddenly you're, you know, you're part of a, uh, a thing. So, for instance, here's an email that he highlights from a senior technical advisor at the GEC, a guy named Semerudin Stewart, who writes uh, to Stacia, who I believe is at Twitter, he says... In our ongoing effort to share information, please find the attached file, uh, data file with a GEC identified Twitter account. We're providing 5,500 of these accounts that display inorganic behavior or follow two or more 
uh, of the 36 Chinese diplomatic Twitter accounts that we have identified in the report. Due to the fact that these accounts follow two or more of these diplomatic accounts and a good portion of them are newly created, we believe that they are suspicious. We are shared for your uh, situational awareness and no action is requested. But for a call, please stand by for any communications and we'll uh, pass related blah, 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 blah. It basically said, hey, call us for more information. But essentially, if you follow more than, you know, two Chinese accounts, suddenly you're, you know, suspicious, right? 43. The Washington Examiner and, uh, who is this? Gabe Kaminsky just profiled a GEC-funded NGO in the United Kingdom that algorithmically scores media outlets by risk. How does downranking the Daily Wire to help the New York Times get more ad revenue even counter for disinformation? So this whole thing is a grift, right? They downrank the Daily Wire that's uh, owned by Jeremy Boring, you know, uh, uh, ben Shapiro is part of it. They downranked it, claiming that it's part of uh, disinformation, right? So, uh, and this report is probably something you want to read. It's in the Washington Examiner by Gabe Kaminsky. The, the title of the article, and this is something you should read, is Disinformation Incorporated. Meet the groups hauling in cash secretly uh, to secretly blacklist conservative news. This is something I can even personally attest to. Right? You used to work at the Post Millennial, and we got downranked because, hey, guess what? We're a conservative news outlet, right? So, 44. An IG report uh, shows the GEC was initially uh, obligated $98.7 million, of which roughly $80 million came from the Pentagon. Right? That's a DOD. It reportedly gave to at least 39 different organizations whose names were redacted. Why is that list secret? See, that's interesting. That's an interesting point here. This is from the Office of the Inspector General. They released a, a statement here. It's an audit of the GEC and how it's funding these groups. And yet, all of these organizations, right, apart from, say, a couple of them, the, what, the CNA Corporation and the De Democracy Council of California, all of them are completely redacted. That is insane. The name redacted. Why don't yeah, you uh, weigh I, in on I, this? I, I would love to get, you know, see who, who's on that. But one of the things, what, when did I post this? Um, oh, in my, uh, the last, uh, the Disinfogate Part 2 the, on the uh, Forum Malign Influence Center, um, I didn't go into it, but in the 2020 Nath uh, National Defense Authorization Act, it's something I haven't tweeted on yet. But inside that uh, that bill, they they literally they set up. Uh, let's see. I have it up right here. They gave the this is this is legislation. This is law. They gave the authority to facilitate an establishment of social media data and threat analysis center. And that is a. A department that is uh, uh, is controlled by the ODNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, and the uh, Defense Department. And what they do, what they were given the authority to do in this uh, 2020 National Defense Authorization Act was give out grants and contracts to third-party organizations, NGOs, um, academia, like all these sort of groups that you see are redacted in that in that last tweet you talked about. But again, you know, we don't know who they are. I think we know we can assume who some of them are. But yeah, they were they were given the authority by Congress. This is law that to, to basically hand out money to third party research groups, private, uh, you know, private uh, entities to do all this bulk collection of misinformation on you know, social media and report it and give it right back to the Department of Defense and the Office of Director of National Intelligence. So this is a multi-agency, you know, this is happening in other, you know, parts of the government, not just, um, 
you know, the one that Taibi's talking which, about. Uh, which you've, uh, just give you a kind of shout out name redacted, like you, and I, I said this earlier, you've done, you've got your own threads on this and you've been going deep into the uh, censorship across various government departments and, and various social media platforms, which we'll be covering next week in a space that you'll be, uh, that'll be all about your threads and you've got a new drop coming out in a few days as well. So uh, yeah. um, just for anyone that Thanks. wants to, to get more insight into this, that will be the highlight of next week's space where it's going to be uh, pretty detailed yeah so but what, just, which tweet are we up to let me add 45 almost done yeah go ahead name. one more thing so when i did this the last <laughs> thread on the foreign malign influence center that is a center within the office of director and national intelligence they're basically the thought police the office of director national intelligence is the top dog of the intelligence community they supervise all the however many you know dozen or so intelligence agencies like cia fbi dhs whatnot um, so that center, the foreign malign influence center, uh, was created, but uh, I didn't, when I was doing that thread, I saw this other thing in the national defense authorization act that set up this, uh, basically this establishment between, uh, the ODNI and the department of defense that gave them the authority to, co- uh, give grants or contracts to third party research groups to do exactly what, you know, basically this uh, Matt Taibbi thread is, is talking about. So I think a lot of, a lot of that funding that started in 2020. So. Cool. Yes. It's not just the, you know, it's not just big brother we're worried about. It's all the little sisters, right? It's the little sisters and these organizations, these think tanks that are compiling lists of Americans of wrong thinkers they're the little sisters. They're, oh yeah. So this, telling this, on you. Yeah. This tweet number 44 says it was funded by, you know, the Pentagon. So that, that's, that's part of what was in the legislation I talked about. Yeah, that's right. So let's go to 45. Now, Twittercom's official Ian Plunkett wrote years ago that misinformation like uh, countering violence, extremism or CVE before it is becoming a cottage industry. This is something even I've talked about, right? So disinformation is the counterterrorism mission rebranded for domestic targets, right? Reauthorization for GEC's funding is up for a vote this year. This is 2023, right? This is something Matt is saying. Can we at least stop paying to blacklist ourselves? He asked a question. It's a pretty damn good question. So the hashtag Twitter files were prepared by a third party, so material may have been left out. Thanks to uh, Schellenberger, right? Um, Michael Schellenberger, and the team at Racket News, who will have more on this all month. So this is not the end of it. You know, I would suggest people stay tuned to what Matt Taibbi and the rest of the team is putting out. Um, and it says, note, before publication, Graham Bookery of the uh, DFR Lab wrote to clarify about the 40,000 Indian names. Quote, we didn't publish this from a former researcher because we lacked confidence in its findings. This is an email that was sent to, um, to Matt Taibbi. Uh, and I asked, I'm sorry, Matt Taibbi asked uh, if he'd made uh, this lack of confidence clear to Reuters, to the Reuters reporter, whose story is based on, on, that, on that research and still live. Right? It's uncorrected online. Well, the guy didn't respond. He didn't reply. So, 50. Uh, for more on these and other Twitter files topics, follow Michael Schellenberger, follow myself, and I'll be testifying in the House on Thursday. Holy crap. So, hey. Matt Ivey will be testifying. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to cover this live for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee have invited him, and he'll be talking. And by the way, he... Uh, Oh, to, to answer the question earlier uh, from Ravi, uh, there is a, a full list of the India accounts. So that's number, is after number oh 15. God. So you want to check his threat. Yep, the full list is there. Excellent. So hey, send it to your government. Send it to your government, man. 
you got the full list of it. There's a gigantic XLSX file. It's a you know it's a it's a spreadsheet. It's on Dropbox, so I suggest downloading it right now and sending it over. Yeah. Yeah, thirty six thousand names. You know, I don't know if you saw yeah. the, the Indian uh, Minister for uh, Information Technology, Rajiv. He just uh, tweeted that out, uh, Matt's uh, entire threat to the entire country. So thank you oh so God. much for today. I really, really, I'm all, I'll, I'll just send that to you. You can read me too. So thank you so much for bringing this. This is a huge, huge, huge piece of missing link that all of us were waiting for. I'm so grateful to you and Mario and to Matt and everybody else. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I'm just going to retweet them too. Well, guys, uh, have a conversation. Yeah, I mean, this is huge. uh... This is... Like this is multi. What imp- what impact what impact is it gonna actually? I'm gonna ask a question to uh, Ravi. What impact do you think that will have? What are you gonna do with the list? You know, it's gonna have a very very uh, serious impact because you know, uh, unlike many other countries, you know, uh, India has been very strongly looking at social media. Companies. Been doing a lot of work around Meta, around Facebook, uh, so uh, and of course, it's gonna look. It's gonna be looking Twitter. at. Sorry, and we've been, we've hold, been on, so- hold on, Ravi, Ravi. It's gonna be Ravi, looking. It's gonna be really looking at. Okay, good. Yes. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You just dropped out for a bit. There. Yeah, a bit I think I think but the timing. Yeah, can you hear me? So the the timing is perfect yeah, right? because India India is finalizing its social media uh, information technology rules right now. I can send you a link. So this is the time when we've been really looking at uh, demanding more accountability. And there's you know unlike other parts of the world, Indians are obsessed. I'm telling you, we are like you guys obsessed. You have no idea amount of obsession Indians have with Twitter. You know, in different languages, we speak different languages. So Twitter has a very strong impact in the political analysis, political discussion in India, right? Because we have no TikTok, right? And Insta is like completely uh, entertainment crap. Sorry for my language. So I think the IT minister was very savvy. The fact that he picks up Matt's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Twitter file today for the first time and he tweets it to everybody. And, you know, it's going to be taken up in a way. You'll see that all over, uh, you know, all over uh, media tomorrow. In fact, I've been already asked two, three uh, Hindi and English media, and maybe I'm going to ask some of you to be part of that, you know, to really speak this up. We needed some concrete evidence because we know that Jack's the shit and his team were really, really negative and they were com- uh, doing this conspiracy. Now, the fact that this exposure is coming out is going to be huge. It will just not have an implication for Twitter in India, but all the social media companies. And I really feel that in a positive way, I think all of us want these companies to do well. And I think what we demand is transparency, honesty, and really like an inclusive, honest space. And like you said, you know, censorship is fine if there is a need, but you cannot outrightly just censor all the Hindu handles, all the right, far right handles, because we are speaking against some insanity. Right. So and again, BJP, which is the ruling and democratically elected uh, uh, you know, government uh, for the second time. And hopefully and the biggest implication, uh, uh, you know, really, Mario and Ian, this will have is because, you know, we are preparing for 2024, you know, one of the biggest elections on this planet. Right. And the fact that yeah, you're getting more people. and more yeah. evidence out there. Yeah, it's going to it's going to have very very strong implications. It and, and more so than that, this has geopolitical implications because keep in mind the Absolutely. people demanding the censorship came from the U.S. government. It was U.S. government funded. They demanded that these accounts be censored. So keep that in mind when you talk to them. You know, like the U.S. government has been meddling in Indian politics. Ravi, just one quick thing. Can you go through? I'll send you through a screenshot. Uh, it, Justin did a list of the top twenty accounts based on the number of followers, 
And I've just sent you through that screenshot. Can you have a look at it? Any of those accounts that you know? Check oh, out your, you your DM now. I'll be curious. Oh, okay. DM on Twitter. Uh, Slayman, jump One in second. and then Maze uh, before we wrap up the space. Yeah, and, and I'm very curious, Ravi, if you know any of them. Slayman? Yeah, I've got um, <clears throat> a couple of points to make. Um, uh, one from earlier and one, one, one based on what Ravi just said. Um, so in terms of what was said earlier, um, the difference between censorship in Russia and censorship in the West is in Russia or any of these countries where the rules are a lot more stringent, you know what the requirements are and then you know how to navigate through them. The problem you have in the West is that when the censorship's occurring, we're given the illusion of free speech. And so when we're given this illusion, we're not able to plan in an effective manner. So people can make career choices, they can make business choices, they can make academic choices. And then when your free speech is curtailed or you get in trouble or you lose your job or career, whatever it may be, the impact is much more significant. So even though there may be a scenario where the rules from a, from a visual or from a out- but losing losing your job and career is not is not the government though it's just the castle culture which which is a different well, discussion it, no well, no it's not just that it's not just that though because like it's it's a much larger thing when the government institutes something puts you on a list corporations are obliged to act upon it that's the issue and and also what we've seen from these is this the government who's actually helping with this cancellation helping with these with, with the direction of thought both within culture as well as through, from a, through through media. Yeah. So this is so yeah. Okay. Well, there's, there's two 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 discussions here from from um, complete censorship versus creating a narrative, which I oh, know yep. they overlap a lot. Go ahead. I just had a thought. What what if we make an Indian space soon, like next week or something, to talk about this? Because you know, obviously, developments will happen. The Indian government is going to act upon this. And there are going to be a lot of implications. I think it'd be great for That's us a good point. to Ravi, in the Ravi, are Indian you, audience. Are you up for this, Ravi? What do you think, Ravi? You're muted, Ravi. He's probably checking the files. But and my second point was actually to Ravi. So until he gets back to you, the issue is this: Look, I, we've got obviously this list of people from India who've been blocked, and I think the whatever the situation was previously, and we have a similar situation now. It's it's the same issue that what is the basis or what is the policy behind banning anybody? So, for example, if it is, as a, um, for example, Ravi said, right-wing ideologies and, for example, you know, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, if all of these things are the litmus test for banning, then that's a policy that needs to be in place and for everybody to know, both in the past and now. So, as an example, we know that that is the policy right now is an absolute free speech because we know people who've been anti-Semitic or have made certain um, uh, posts that are infringing on people uh, people's uh, ideologies have been banned. So, would you say, uh, but Zema, would you say Twitter files has sorry Twitter has uh, uh, you know pretty free. You know, not much censorship and pretty much free well, speech. Well, well, I don't know what I prefer actually at the moment. And first of all, I love what Elon Musk is generally doing. So I don't want him to sound contradictory in my next point. But in the past, it seems like they were very stringent on anything that could be considered. How, true, true. Speech. That's fair. I, they, could, I they, they, they banned, they banned a you, lot of feminists. True. They banned feminists who criticize transgender ideology. And obviously, Elon but is would you say, would you, would you say now 
um, uh, no, Twitter is not censored or very little censorship. So, so I'd so say the censorship has decreased, but then the problem with the decrease is what's the basis of the decrease. So previously, I understood what it was, even though I had a problem with it. So it was basically anyone who was right wing, not right wing, but alt right ideas were basically banned, and hence this 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 Twitter files that have came out are not shocking to me. Or somebody who basically was, uh, you know, you know, basically terror, you know, terrorist ideas. For example, Islamic extremists were basically banned. If it was like you said, extreme ideas and other paths, they were banned. But now the question is, what is the policy? What is the fundamental policy that's outlining everything that's happening? Well, it seems. It seems. But now it seems. Would you say like? It, I think we all agree that Twitter it's murky. is... It's still murky, Mario. You know, people are still getting banned for um, misgendering, for example. Yeah. It's just so too murky that now. Needs yeah, to be done away it's not perfect, but would you... S- yeah, murky, but would you say it's... If the you, censorship is, feels, is significant. It's better, it's better, it's better for sure. It's better for sure. It feels better for sure. Like, I'm posting things which I think maybe I'd get banned for pri- uh, previously. So definitely, and we bad. know, and ho- and we know, and we also know, we also know what, when someone gets, unless there's obviously a glitch or a mistake, we generally know why people. There's there's a fair bit of transparency. Yeah. Uh, also, Elon's gonna open up where we know why someone's been suspended, etc. Okay, so, but my, so we have the transparency because I know, Simon, you're making the point that you just don't know. Though, and Mario, I, like, what what is the policy that's caught, got year banned, for example, and then equal or similar level accounts, which are probably so they're gonna, similar yeah, but, ideas they, or not? But, yeah, so I, I don't know who that is. Oh, Kanye West. Yeah, yeah. So what's the policy that got him banned? But then at the same time, similar levels of... Isn't it hate speech? So, but that's, but that's pretty, my point. Like it... That's my point. I don't think that's a complete policy that's happening throughout because there's a lot of uh, hate speech that's occurring that isn't banned. My point is this. I'm not. I'm saying Twitter feels much better for sure. Like, I know I would probably get banned in the previous regime. My point is this, that I want good policies in place that we all know that what we're working towards so for example now ravi the indian list like but hold on but going back to sorry going back to kanye didn't elon himself say what the ceo of the company say why kanye got suspended no yeah he did, yeah he was on our space when he explained it yeah i watched your Remember? i watched that place okay you guys were on and i felt like the okay. said, so, so i don't know like i don't know I, you asked you asked a question you asked a question slayman you asked a question slayman on why why you got suspended but i'm just saying the CEO of the company himself said why you got suspended. No, no, that's not my point. Well, the issue yeah, is, no, is unevenly distributed. I'm saying what's the policy which underli- underlies that decision that is applied yeah, why aren't other people you? getting banned, right? I mean, the, the issue is Twitter's uh, enforcement of policies right now is very hit and miss. You know, there are people who do spout threats and they don't get banned for it. And there's other people who might misgender someone and still get banned for it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And this is something that, you know, obviously is a work in progress. We can't expect everything to change overnight. You know, they do have to change a lot of people working at Twitter because, you know, the the moderators, whether they're ideologically driven or whether they've simply been trained to, to behave in a certain way, they're banning people based on, you know, an ideological stance, banning people from misgendering, for example, or criticizing transgender ideology. That is still kind of happening, not as much as it used to. So I would say it's a work in progress and that we should just give it time. That's my opinion, but it is something that needs to be addressed. Like we can't just like sweep it under the carpet and say everything's okay. Just because it's getting better, it doesn't mean it's all completely okay. That's still problems with Twitter That's that need to be addressed. Fair. I think you made a very the fair point, The point I wanted to make but the point I wanted to make, Simon, the reason I was asking those questions, like, okay, so, so, but Twitter is, and I don't want to kind of open up that 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 uh, rabbit hole, go down that rabbit hole again. But Twitter's banned in Russia and allowed in the U.S. and the West. So just, just really wanted to make that point, and and it's one of many websites. 
Um, but I think that's a debate for the next yeah, censorship course, cause, space. Yeah, because like Ravi, Ravi explained uh, that TikTok's banned in India, so many countries make policy decisions based on banning certain. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm generally a believer of one simple policy, and that applies to Elon, that applies to Putin, that applies to Xi Jinping, that applies to anybody. It applies to some institutions here in, in the US, um, at social media platforms, especially in the West, um, is an Apple by far the biggest. Um, any centralization of power is dangerous, even if the centralization is within good hands. Because good people can think Lex and Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman and Joe Rogan were talking about this. Good people, and they gave Elon as example, even Elon could be corrupted. Any good person could be corrupted. It's really like, or, or if not Elon, when Elon is no longer the, at the helm of, of Twitter, is no longer with us, who's going to take over? So it could be a, a country with a great, incredible president that has complete centralization of power. There's examples of countries that have achieved incredible growth under a president with, with uh, that had you know was authoritarian but eventually that president will be replaced by someone else and someone else and and you cannot and, and and it just takes one person to not have good intentions or be a psychopath or whatever it is uh, there's no system to counter that so i'm i'm gen- my argument is always centralization of power is never is is never a good thing and i think elon knows that elon's decentralizing twitter and that's part of his uh, roadmap, which is why I don't um, criticize the centralization of power here. Um, so that that's usually my take, and I think it would be that's good fair. for a deeper discussion. Yeah, brilliant. And so just the final point um, I was making was I from the, what, what you guys have gone through in terms of the Twitter files and based on what the policy decisions were of the pre, pre, previous regime, it's quite clear why a lot of those people on the Indian list were banned because obviously it's based on the ideologies and ideas. Um. Boomer, I appreciate your take. Uh, it was crazy. I, I, just, oh, I, I was just, just, I'm just drilling through this. I'm drilling through this uh, 36,000 list they have here, and I mean, they're <laughs> like, good. they're like a hundred verified accounts, and uh, they've got the geolocation. They've got all this information. In fact, I'm a little suspect that some of this data wasn't like primed and matched by Twitter itself. But I, I, I'm maybe they could pull this straight off. Of and that list, I'm that list sure. of people that were suspended or shadow banned or what exactly? Well, th- this is the list of thirty six thousand, forty four thousand, whatever uh, related to India for some reason. The India accounts full list, and I'm like, what? Oh I God, mean, I they have like, you. they got like a, a Justin Bieber fan account in here. They've got uh, some guy who's running for Congress in Arizona. Uh, I mean, I just, I don't, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's nonsense. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. We'll go to uh, Maze and then Patrick to kind of finish it off. And I, I don't know if Piotr want to add anything as well at the end. But Patrick, uh, sorry, Maze, go ahead. And we do want to Thank just you. quickly final words, everyone, just because I do want to wrap it up. We have another space in five hours that we've been pr- planning for for two weeks. And you want to sleep. The China space. So yep, go ahead, no, Maze. I'll be real quick. Thank you, Mario. Um, so I just oh, shout out. Like... By the way, shout out shout out to Maze and her spaces. Um, I've seen you every day hustling with your spaces. So, so really You're well fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm going to be very quick. I just want to highlight that, you know, the World Economic Forum, you guys know that's kind of where I've been hyper-focused most recently, is that this, um, you know, informa- disinformation, uh, uh, the legal aspect of it that you brought up, Name Redacted, the what's happening is like the private organizations are coming and drafting up the policies, drafting up the the white papers, and they're passing them off to the prominent officials around the around the world to get passed as law. And so they're creating these public-private partnerships to be able to 
I guess, you know, you can call they call it tackling disinformation, but we just saw that there's like one was the attack on kind of the Russian disinformation. So to create maybe a Russia rush, what did he call it? He said it in his speech, like Russia phobia. Um, and then we yeah, saw this yeah. with India. And so to me, it's like, is there an attack on BRICS? Is this kind of like a unipolar type of move to kind of, you know, attack anything with with the BRICS nations? That's just something I wanted to throw out. And then um, there was something else, but it was a long time ago. So I'll just let that go since we're uh, making it quick. But thanks for having me on here. And um, yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Thanks, Mace. Those are some great questions and those are some great points. I mean, this is something that, again, we need to talk about, right, Mario? Right, next week, let's do a, an India space and talk about the implications. Yeah, I've already told my team, uh, Ravi, my, someone from my team will reach out to you today to connect you to, so we connect on WhatsApp and discuss a potential Indian space. Uh, we're Maybe actually, we can get the uh, information minister, you know, we can get him on next week's space. Yeah. Ravi, you gotta hustle for this, bro. If you wanna do this, you gotta hustle, Ravi. Yeah, let's, let's get Modi himself on the. Uh, we'll go yeah, to let's uh, that, Patrick. Let's get that Justin Bieber fan account too. And I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, we should we should get some of the top names on that list. Uh, Patrick and then Ravi and then Piotr. Uh, go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, hey, on that policy uh, debate, it's a really good point because you know, you've got two things. You've got community guidelines, which are sort of universally enforced or, you know, policy guidelines and so forth, Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget Facebook is a big part of this conversation. Then the other, they have reactive uh, takedowns and reactive censorship. And what we found in you studying the different countries, it usually reflects the party in power will it be able to exert some pressure on the, the local regional corporate office. Because you have to remember, like Facebook, for instance, is advertising sales is one of their main you know, revenues aside from selling data. But so they, they, it, they won't take a left or right wing line. They'll take the line of uh, wherever the pressure is coming from politically. So and it was also I think the Intercept reported that uh, Israel pressured Facebook to take down a load of Palestinian uh, Facebook accounts, like thousands of them, I think. And then Chile, when the right wing government was in power, um, they were taking down opposition accounts. So it varies from country to country um, because of the business. They want to keep stay access to the markets. So I don't know about Twitter, but I know that that's been the case with Facebook. So that, and that, I do, yeah. I also, yeah, and I also want to make it. So just to kind of balance it out, there's a. I don't know if I tweeted about it, but someone sent it through. That censorship exists on both sides of the political spectrum. Obviously, in the in the US and the West has been more on the left because the you know social media platforms are uh, leaning left. But there's an and article the right I'm trying to find it quickly, and I mentioned speech, it. You know. All right, wing uh, in the United yeah. States, it's constitutionalist. It's very different from the right wing elsewhere, which is, I would argue, to be more authoritarian. You know, there are benefits to being authoritarian. Obviously, you get stuff done. But in the West, not the West necessarily, but in the United States, um, you know, it's constitutionalist. Right? They're more libertarian when it comes to suppressing other people. They don't believe in that. There is, um, but I just want to say that there is um, a, 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 an article of. Uh, I think it was Fox News or somebody intentionally censoring and sending requests to censor people on the left. Uh, I'm going to try to find the exact article uh, that someone sent me in. in either Are you talking about, about that one Twitter, or... uh, Twitter files drop where there was a State Department official that was like demanding censorship of various people he claimed to be Russian? The guy's a Republican. Uh, no, something related to Fox News. I'll find it and and like mention it at the end of the space if I manage to find it. But I want to sit there, kind of wrapping, uh, you know, trying to look for it. Yeah. But Ravi, any any final quick words before we go to Piotr? No, I think I think one that totally on for uh, trying to bring the minister. I'll speak to him myself. Second, you know, just just another piece, you know, because 
misinformation, disinformation will always happen and people will keep attempting this. You know, we have been supporting an NGO in India, which is uh, reaching out and we are about, we're going to do digital skills and digital safety for about uh, 10 million students. Because we realize that if you're looking at more and more young people coming, they can get totally disenchanted by the, and overwhelmed by this entire experience. So how do you really address it from an education and from a skilling perspective? Because, you know, social media is going to have more avatars and more, uh, uh, you know, forms in the coming years. I mean, just the fact that Twitter, big Twitter, whatever the new idea of Twitter will be, India has 40% of the UPIs, right? So if you're looking at Twitter becoming the space for various market and discussion and so on and so forth, you want to make sure that people who are participating are skilled in the right way. So that's another piece, you know, that Rajiv has been focusing is uh, while we can do a lot in terms of rules, but how do you really get citizens to really engage in a positive, but also careful way which is safe and responsible on both sides. So that's the final thought. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Your mic is horrible, Ravi, but I'll, I'll let you finish this time. Made an exception. I uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, Piotr, final words? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a slight irony here in that, you know, we were talking about freedom of expression and the, the suppression of the left. But then sort of when I'm trying to speak, it was the suppression of me from certain people. So I think we need to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wow, that's kind of whiny. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm sorry, but it's no, very, yeah, that was whiny. Honest. Like, I, I, I just let like, you know, I, 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 but you always do this. You gotta always come back and then whine about. It. We know, man. We know what happened. I don't think it's censorship. I think it's people getting emotional. I don't think Ian blocked you. Uh, I don't think nope. he banned you from I the didn't space. Do anything. I don't think. He, I, I, don't, I don't think he even kicked you. Kicked you off, and he didn't even mute you. By the way, I thought he did mute you. It turns out I glitched. Um, so anyway, I, 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 but I, a valid point. I don't. I wouldn't consider it censorship. I just consider it people getting heated. Um, but yeah, I'd love you to, to wrap up the space because I, uh, sure. we, I kind of, we were on the same side of the argument earlier today, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to be pay. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging it. Anyway, um, as I said, I think this conversation is important. I, I think we're going through a transitional time when it comes to big tech, uh, governments. We're seeing power shift between different platforms and entities. You know, Musk doesn't even know what he's <coughs> do with Twitter. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, though, I think some other people have said it. These are big companies which are privately owned. And arguably, that uh, people sorry, can do what just quickly, uh, so, Ian, Ian, or name someone has their mic unmuted. This feedback sound, so just make sure you mute it, guys. Sorry, yeah, go ahead, Piotr, sorry. No, okay. I think it's yeah. name. So, oh, good. Go ahead, Piotr. Yeah. So what I'm saying, I mean, look, I don't really have much to say because I joined late and didn't listen to much. But I, I, I wouldn't suggest that this is some kind of thing against the BRICS. Um, the BRICS are, you know, a group of countries that are developing at their own way things like CBDCs and an alternative financial model. We've now got to deal with the potential of the U.S. sanctioning China, which will have repercussions. Um, and I think the freedom of expression is a, is an incre- incredibly, you know, I will fight. I love the expression. You know, uh, I don't agree with what you said, but I'll fight the death for, to allow you to say it. I think that's incredibly important. Uh, and we need to. That's a, hold on. Where is this? Where is this quote from? That's a good one. Um, gosh, you made the quote. Um, it's like, um, I wouldn't, I what is it? I want to actually write it down. I want to tweet it out. I wouldn't, what is it? I wouldn't, uh, uh, I don't agree I don't with you, but I'll fight to I death. I agree with what you, you know, I may not agree with what you say, 
uh, with what you say. But I will fight. But I defend your right. Out. But I but I defend but I defend your right to say it. That's the commonly misattributed uh, to Voltaire. Yeah, he never said that. Yeah, but yeah I, it's a public quote. The actual quote is: "I disprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it." Oh, there um, it is, uh, Evelyn okay. Beatrice Hall. Yeah. yeah. So good, good, a good, a good That's quote. Such a sexy a quote. To to uh, to uh, to end the space, but anyway, thanks for the space. And see you. Uh, Chris, uh, first time on stage, I thought I'll give you the mic quickly to wrap up a quick point because we're on to end the space and we'll get the final words by our hosts, Ian and, and Name Redacted. Go ahead, Chris. Good to have you. Oh, awesome. Thank you. I hope you can hear me okay. Yep. Um, a lot of this is coming back. We can, back. Chris. Yeah. Thank you. A lot of this is coming back from um, the Smith Modernization Act and the uh, misinformation, disinformation uh, push that also was uh, initiated with the uh, integrity initiative from England as well as the United States is being run through the state department. It's all about national security, not two thirty, and they're framing it to make it look like it's Russian crap, but it's really to keep the, the narrative down. Thanks, I gave some documents to Mays uh, to share with you guys. Thanks. Perfect. Yeah, please do DM me anything you have. Uh, we're going to be doing a big space on censorship in a few days, as I said. Um, so as for everyone, we do have a big space in five hours, four hours and 50 minutes uh, about the China-US tensions. It's going to be one of my favorite spaces. I'm really excited for it. I think Piotr's going to be there. I think Ian's going to be there. I haven't looked at the list yet. I think Justin's going to be there. Patrick, maybe. I can't remember. But Ian, name redacted, guys. Final words uh, before we say goodbye to everyone. Okay, so I will just say, right, that this uh, this drop here is perhaps much larger than any of the previous drops, not just in terms of quantity and volume, but the geopolitical implications in this. It involves India, right? Make no mistake, India is, what, 1.5 or 1.7 billion people who are effectively being suppressed by the U.S. government, right? This this is what's going on, you know, and, and we have to ask these questions, not just us, but the Indian government should be asking these questions. Like, what led to the, you know, suppression or attempted suppression of BJP accounts? This has to be answered, you know, and, and obviously, uh, Twitter has played a massive part in the suppression under the previous regime. Under Elon Musk, obviously not, you know, you fight 90% of these guys, but the previous regime under Vijay Gade, uh, suppressed these accounts. And, you know, for the longest time, India has been, you know, trying to fight back against this kind of censorship uh, of its people. And now we have evidence, apparently, right, that the U.S. government funded an organization, or at least is part of the U.S. government, in fact, uh, tried to suppress these accounts, tried to suppress Indians from having the political views expressed online. Why is that? Why were they targeted? I think people need to start talking about this. This is more than just the suppression of Americans, right? This is massively international, right? And, and it shows that uh, there's this massive overreach among the uh, you know state apparatus in the United States to control and manipulate other countries in the world. It's denied doing so, but clearly here we see it happening. And so that needs to be addressed completely on an international level. Cannot be, you know, they can't let this, uh, you know, be swept under the rug. It's not cool. Name? Okay, so, uh, yeah, aside from uh, what Ian mentioned about uh, India, uh, a lot of the thread also focused on... um, bots or Russian, you know, accounts in uh, France, in uh, Italy, and then obviously in the U.S., 
but the common theme that I keep seeing in this, this is actually a really good thread because it focuses sort of on the macro picture of what the government is doing. And just pay attention to every instance where they're putting account, you know, lists of accounts to, to suspend or these requests. It all comes back to one thing. They use it the excuse of Russia disinformation and blame it on Russia influence activities or, you know, every, any other, you know, excuse they can make. And that's something um, I'm going to touch upon in the, the thread next or in the uh, space next week on uh, censorship. And I, I sort of uh, summarize a little bit of uh, uh, lay the groundwork in the, the thread up in the nest, the disinfogate part two of this foreign malign influence center. But uh, to quickly wrap up the, the government, you know, the intelligence community has to foreign or sorry, has to focus on foreign threats. OK, so they can't make requests to social media to suspend or, or, or take down posts unless they can you know, have some sort of foreign connection. They have to say it's a foreign sponsored, um, you know, disinformation. OK, but what we're seeing here in this thread by Matt Taibbi today is any every single thing that they're pointing out and accounts to take down, they're labeling it as Russia disinformation. And that is how the government or these, you know, uh, you know, th that's how they're basically using as an excuse to censor domestic accounts, which they cannot be doing. That's that's illegal. So that that's the point I guess I want to make. But it's still going on. You have the Foreign Line Influence Center up at the top. And that that's basically your the head of the thought police in the United States right now that the Foreign Malign Influence Center is basically the DHS uh, disinformation government's uh, board in a new name under a different agency. And that's still going on today. And we'll talk more about that next week, of course. Oh, thank you, everyone, for joining everyone in the audience. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, I know I, I kind of was making the point about I was trying to make a counter argument to uh, no censorship being a bad thing and uh, I want to try to bring people that can make that argument in the next space it's an interesting discussion um, and I, I want to try to come up with some examples of where lack of censorship could be very dangerous because the examples that we have here are, are not you know, they're not really good examples of how damaging misinformation could be um, so I want to try to get some good examples and, and get that debate going. It'll be interesting to have. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, it was a great space. I'll see you all in five and a half hours. We do have the China-US tensions space, uh, which is one of my favorite topics. And for, to, in my opinion, one of the most underrated uh, topics that is not being discussed enough, in my opinion. And I've got a tweet. I think my tweet says, uh, everyone, I think the narrative, the narrative, uh, gender pronouns, control the narrative and i'm responsible for that because i tweeted and did a space about it and i'm not saying it's not important but i'm saying controls the narrative yet yeah, we were facing the biggest um um biggest nuclear threat or potential for world war and i'm not over exaggerating uh since the cold war uh with tensions well, with russia, russia and not, now tensions with china nukes. russia just yeah, put so, out a statement today saying they're not going to nukes at all like it's not even a question yeah i think russia saying i think russia saying that now u.s is saying that and and china is not indicating anything i was saying that there's you know russia and the u.s haven't you know there haven't been that confrontational since the cold war and um and uh the u.s and china relations are not good <laughs> at all and, and the situation with taiwan i'll just give you an example with taiwan china says 
Taiwan, we're going to reunify with Taiwan. We prefer to do it peacefully. I'm paraphrasing. I tweeted the, the video about this. That's the president, <laughs> Xi Jinping, saying this. But um, please mute your mic, uh, whoever's unmuted. Um, but uh, but we will not discount the possibility of using military force. And, the, and other officials have said we are ready to use military force. And then Biden, when asked, hey, if Taiwan gets attacked, would you use – would you send troops or would you use military force to support Taiwan? And he said yes. So you got China said, hey, we'll take Taiwan – and we have ready to use force. The U.S. saying we'll protect Taiwan and we're ready to use force. So, uh, uh, it's it's, yeah, it's, it is it is uh, pretty bad. And I think it's what uh, the hell is Biden doing? A, um, yeah, I, I, I it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole debate. Um, but uh, I think it's it's even deeper than just Biden. It goes back decades and decades ago with the murkiness of the one China policy. And uh, I think we're gonna see yeah, um, we're gonna see this issue contain uh, continue and I, I think it's a very complex issue and how microchips play a big role in it it's just fascinating it's a fascinating topic and it's a very concerning one maybe time to uh finally get my uh little bunker <laughs> and then prep prep for the, uh, for yeah. the end of the world um all right cool everyone thank you so much in name redacted thank you so much for hosting the space speakers thanks a lot for joining and we'll see you all in five and a half hours thanks everyone bye-bye thank you mario thank you thank you thanks, thanks Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.